0: a lot of funny business going on out here that I think you ought to look into before it's too late. What? Well, this is Millie out of... At... I think you know who killed those doctors. You've got to tell us in order to prevent other deaths. Oh, I can't. I can't do that. Look.
1: Episode one thirty three of the Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett.
2: I'm Troy Gwynn,
1: and we're here tonight to once again dive headlong into the nineteen forties Universal horror films. Tonight we got a cracker, folks.
2: Oh man, man, lots to talk about here.
1: This is this is a good one this this time around because. This is, uh, by the way, uh, in case you were unaware, this is the last film from
2: 1942. Oh, wow. So we've, yep, we've, yep, yep. we've made it to almost 1943
1: then. yep, yep, yep. This one was released in, on uh, October 20th, 1942, and they didn't do any more horror films that year. Uh, the next movie we cover will be the beginning of 1943. cool. cool. So for those of you who yep. said we'd never make it to 1943... <laughs> you were wrong right
2: at this bit so it took us what 5 years to get through the first two <laughs> so going at that pace folks uh... <laughs>
1: imagine just how quickly we're going to sail through the oh, next yeah. 3 years <sighs> 4 years 5 years who knows yeah. it doesn't matter tonight's movie is night monster from mm-hmm. 1942 and uh, it top lines a couple of actors who mm. really don't have a lot to do in the picture yeah, yeah. Uh, are there primarily to uh, get to horror movie fans' butts in seats? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would, uh, I think basically there's a, there's an interesting debate to be had as to whether or not they should have or they definitely could have been yeah. used differently but it's yeah. a, it's going to be an interesting well, debate to know, see where I, we fall.
2: I know you usually handle most of the kind of the research and reading on these as far as you know from the books and stuff so I don't know if you, I'll be interested to see if, if your research uncovered any uh, answers to some of the questions i have about this film but we'll see what that oh, goes oh, you know okay, okay. but uh maybe, yeah
1: maybe well this uh before before we dive into it i would like to uh i do have an aside i set this here for mm-hmm. a reason mm-hmm. uh and for those of you who are unaware um the science fiction movie from 1951 called flight to mars has just come out on blu-ray and it is a glorious thing it's beautiful it's from the company the film detective and uh Stars, stars uh, Cameron Mitchell. That's the, the person that, that's the, the, the title mm. or the, the name. It's not really above the title, but it's the person that, uh, oh boy, did he have a very long career. Yep. Flight to Mars is one of those movies, the title is so generic to a degree that, you know, for mm. even science fiction fans, it's, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's got to be that moment of going Flight to Mars.
2: Flight yeah, it's Mars, one of those where you Mars, probably most of you, you know, you're just going to say like, I probably won't know if I've seen it till I actually look at it and watch <laughs> it because, you yeah, know, maybe I have, maybe I haven't.
1: Well, the uh, the joy of it is, is I as soon as I saw that they were coming out with it, that it was a special edition. It's got a it's got a commentary track. It's got a couple of documentaries, including one on uh, Walt, called Walter mirish uh, from Bomba to Body Snatchers. Uh, Walter Mirisch is the guy who uh, I believe directed almost all of the Bomba the Jungle Boy movies, and then uh, Interstellar Travelog Cinema's first space race, which is another documentary on here. It's it basically. I, I couldn't wait to, you know, plunk down my money and get this. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit, I kinda thought that I had seen the movie, but I was mixing it up with like three or four other movies from the same period of time. And when we plunked down to sat to, to, to watch this thing, mm-hmm. I didn't I had not seen this movie yeah, ever. No? Okay. I had never seen it. I was pleasantly surprised, A, that I hadn't seen it, and of course I thoroughly enjoyed it because I like nineteen fifties science fiction movies. Yeah. So Completely did not expect it to go the way it went. Uh, it, it was is is a monogram picture. Oh wow! Which means that you know it had no budget. i
2: was about to say that yeah, so there was no 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 one signed any checks for this film. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I'll say this. What, what um, I'm assuming that whatever money got spent on it, it was more money than. Say their their average b Western by far. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, Because
1: it's in color. Yeah.
2: yeah okay. Well, yeah. You know. and
1: there are a number of sets. Yeah, you had that to make some
2: actual to... props in some kind of comedy. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, um, Flight to Mars, uh, not the best 50 science mm-hmm. fiction movie I've ever seen, but I really did enjoy it. So, if you're uh, at least a bit curious, it's available on Blu Ray now. Flight to Mars, uh, it gets it gets a full throated recommend from me. Uh, and uh, who knows, you may not have seen it either, mm-hmm. because. It's it's not mm-hmm. it's not Angry Red Planet and it's mm-hmm. not yeah right it's not Missile to the Moon mm. well, <laughs> rocket course. ship uh, XM. Yeah. yeah I was about to say rocket ship XM, destination <laughs> Moon like uh, seven hundred billion of them right. but nevertheless thought I'd let everybody know about that cool um, by the way just a little heads up we'll talk a bit about it near the end of the show but because this is the last film of nineteen forty two. I uh, just want to let you know that the first film of 1943 is a Sherlock Holmes
2: Okay, back to Sherlock Holmes, good.
1: So we'll be getting back to the Sherlock Holmes stuff. And i got to say, I think that in 1943 we're going to be hitting a number mm. of Sherlock Holmes yes. films. So prepare yourself for that. This won't quite turn into the Trojan Rod hmm. rock their way through Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> but it will be pretty close. Yeah. So uh, I have to say... Use that as a springboard hmm. for my joy in uh, covering this particular horror movie from Universal, Night Monster. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back and then uh, dive headlong into the discussion, the meaty, meaty, meaty discussion, hmm. not to mention bloody, <laughs> of Night Monster.
0: Hi, I'm Ben from the Diecast Movie Review
1: Podcast, which is done by myself, my sister, and my father, where the genre of the movie is decided by the cast of a die.
0: The categories are horror, drama, comedy, action, sci-fi, and fantasy, animation, and musical.
3: Also on occasion, we'll have a special episode dedicated to conversations with creators, directors, actors, involved in the production of movies.
0: Join us and see what movie we pick next. Alright fellas, here's your story. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And we cannot keep this a secret any longer.
3: Wait, Captain. I have found evidence of intelligent beings on this planet. Look to the skies. It's the B Movie Cookbook. Menus inspired by 15 of your favorite B Movies from the 1950s, with teenage werewolves, blobs, and enough cheese for everyone. When we return to our planet, the High Court may well sentence you to torture. But until then, we've got Ed Wood and Vincent Price.
4: There'll be food and drink and ghosts, and perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited.
3: So impress your friends with dinner and a movie with the B-Movie Cookbook. We've got you covered. Get your copy today at bmoviecookbook.com. That's bmoviecookbook.com. Let me see that book. I am interested to see what sways your mind so heavily. Sure thing. Just visit bmoviecookbook.com. Blood dripping from the hands. That's impossible. But there is. You're right. Let's see what's in this. A perfect pitch and blood ruby. There's an
4: inscription on this in ancient Greek, something about The curse of death. Dr. Harper, come back here. Dr. Harper, I want you in here.
1: Night Monster, uh, released October 1942. uh, uh, 73 minutes, which means... Epic, it's
2: It's epic length.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's a full 10 minutes longer than your average... Yeah, uh, yeah. Universal horror from the nineteen forties, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, and I have to say this was uh, this was co build, double build with uh, last our last movie. film, yeah, the the Mummy's Curse. Mm-hmm. This is an odd one from yes, any perspective. That's the word I would
2: use—an odd film, yeah.
1: Although it does sport Bela Lugosi, mm-hmm. it's a supporting role,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it does sport Lionel <laughs> Atwell it's a supporting role
2: well I mean let's let's go ahead and just say it it's not just that it supports them. they're top build I mean they were the first yes. two names that come up Lugosi at will so yeah <laughs> that's, a, that's so that in itself uh, leads to some and uh, some questions I have about this film but
1: <laughs> well well uh, I think there are probably some answers involved mm. but uh, let's see um, let's talk about the director for just a second yeah. because uh, it's a name that once seen never forgotten mm-hmm. Ford BB yeah he uh, was a screenwriter first. He spent decades writing movies before he actually uh, mm-hmm. directed. and uh, Well, not decades, but at least years. He, he, wrote, uh, he wrote for The Silence. He worked in the silent film industry starting about 1916. Mm-hmm. And then just stuck around and worked his way through a blue bajillion of things. But what I know him primarily for, the reason I know his name and it kind of sticks out, is because uh, he was the director of a number of serials. Oh, yeah. Especially for Universal.
2: Well, uh, just, I, I, just looking at his filmography, I was amused to just think like, there's one word that describes this director: adventure.
1: <laughs> I mean, <like> his- <laughs> he directed uh, Flash Gordon's Trip to Mars, yeah, yeah. Buck Rogers, The Green Hornet. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you, get, you get to the point where you're like, okay, okay, yeah. so he was kind of the go-to guy. Did he? <laughs> hold on, wait. Did he? Did, did he? Did he direct Flight to Mars? Wait, no, he did not. But. He did a whole bunch of those kind of movies, you know, as well as mm-hmm. westerns and everything else under the sun, as well. But before we even get out of the silent age, you look at there's like
3: 20 <laughs> freaking
1: movies that he made, and you realize that he was one of those guys who was who could be counted upon to get it done, to get yeah, the fi- get yeah. the film get the film shot. He was thought of as a dependable director. Yeah. At the end of his resume, what you'll notice is that his name is listed as a director on over 100 movies. Mm-hmm. Now, since a lot of those were silent movies, some of them are lost. Some of those mm-hmm. some of those are movies that you know we know of, they're records of, but we don't really even have a way to see. But when you start concentrating on just the stuff that you can see, you're going to spend a lot of time, if you want to watch his movies, you're going to spend a lot of time watching serials. And mm-hmm. Honestly, that's not necessarily a bad no, thing. No, it isn't. Ford Beebe, I think, first directed uh, Bela Lugosi in a serial called... The Phantom uh, Creeps, yes, and The Phantom Creeps, by the way, is a pretty interesting little uh, crazy serial. Yeah, Let's put it that it way. Is. It's a crazy yes. Yes, serial. It is. It's 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 completely nu- it's it's <laughs> it's a nutcase kind of thing. But he also ended up uh, directing an Arsene, Arsene Lupin film, uh, Invisible Man's Revenge in nineteen forty four. So we'll run across him again. And it's not every director who can who can say this about himself, Alfred Hitchcock commended B.B. for his skill after viewing this film, he was impressed with the speed and economy of the production because this movie was shot really quick.
4: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) This movie was shot in less than two
2: weeks.
1: (laughs) And uh, when you you have all these sets and everything Mm -hmm. that you can just Mm -hmm. go immediately to, Mm -hmm. that's pretty easy to do. But when you impress Alfred Hitchcock with being able to put together a film this good on the budget and schedule that this movie had... That's something to be committed. That's Mm -hmm. something to like Mm -hmm. hold up and and maybe you get that printed up and framed, hung on your wall. Yeah. (laughs) The scriptwriter for this for this film is someone whose name kind of rang a bell with me, and then Mm -hmm. I looked him up. His name was Clarence Upson Young, and then when I realized I looked, I started looking at his uh, his filmographies because. Here recently I saw another one of the movies that he wrote called North to the Klondike because I finally tracked down North to the <laughs> Klondike from 1942 uh-huh. because it's a Lon Chaney Jr. Broderick Crawford joint. Yeah, And uh, kind of enjoyed it. There's not a good print of it out there. There's uh, some bootlegs of a 16 millimeter print. But he wrote that film as well. But also we've run across it before mm-hmm. as a script writer doing this series of podcasts because he wrote The Strange Case of Dr. Rx.
2: Yeah, and actually I feel like like I can see how it's the same writer, you know, because the, the other, there's a lot of strange ideas and uh, you know in in the strange case of Dr. RX. and there's strange ideas and plot contrivances yep. in this. I think between the two, I, I think this is the better script um, than, than the strange case of Dr. RX. I think this comes off a little better. I, agree. I think it ties together, you know, a little more a little better. I think the dialogue is I like the dialogue a lot of the dialogue in this film. I uh, think the dialogue's a little better, and there's no, uh, there's, you know, it doesn't, unlike Strange Case of Dr. Rx, it doesn't bog down in any comic relief segments. So. True,
1: very true. I would also say that I like this film better than Strange Case of Dr. Rx, and not just because it's, it's got such a crazy premise at its score, yeah. Yeah. but because it has so many, Interesting characters in it.
2: Yeah, it really and does. And
1: they're being played by actors who seem to be throwing themselves fully into their roles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's I, I agree. there's a lot of cast meat is good on in these this, bones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a this, this is this is a juicy little thing. And I also think that unfortunately, from just the this movie, Night Monster, and that film, <laughs> this poor script writer may be the man who like can can honestly attest that no matter what script he wrote they were going to slap a title on it that didn't do it any justice.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah, Night Monster. I mean, that's just (laughs) just like like one of the most unimaginative... (laughs) Uh, No, I
1: mean, Strange Case of Dr. Rx, at least that kind of... That Mm. that works. I mean, Mm. you know, that that has a reference to something within the film, but Night Monster could be anything. And the fact that this movie was shot under a completely different title, uh, was it House of Mystery? It was shot as House of Mystery, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Which I think might have been a better title. I think,
2: yeah, even though it's also kind of generic, but I think it does fit better. I think it would be a better, you know. Well,
1: and it points toward the the mm. themes that this movie is playing with mm. outright, which sure. is kind of the old Dark House stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very mm-hmm. clear that in a lot of ways, I mean, the movie, I mean, we're, there are very few scenes in this movie that aren't in the house or on the yeah. grounds of the house, right yeah. around it.
2: Looking at the uh, resume of the director and the scriptwriter, this is probably one of the few things that they... Both worked on that did all take place just in one house, you know. That one, you know, that wasn't just rife with action, rife with you know adventure. (laughs)
1: Adventure. Well, got to say that as far as uh, maybe it's a good thing that the word monster is in the title because this movie does have a monster in it, a murderous monster, and even though we don't uh, we don't get uh, a real full view of it until the very you know like last Mm. five minutes of the movie, um, it's. A pretty impressive monster, and one that I, from the you, neck
2: down—that's
1: <laughs> what I mean. Yeah, yeah—is that—that's the impressive part. That's what yeah. has to be impressive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the thing about it is, is like you've not seen this monster before. No, this no. isn't a. This ain't a Dracula.
2: <laughs> this ain't
1: no Frankenstein. <laughs> this ain't no Mummy. Yeah. This thing here, you ain't never seen this, mm. and it's truly I mean as far as I can tell this is truly unique especially when this film was made mm-hmm. this almost feels like somebody's trying their damnedest to find a truly original monster and I can't find anything definite I mean there's mm-hmm. probably a, a silent movie somewhere
0: mm-hmm.
1: that played with this same thing maybe even had a similar murder plot mm-hmm. but man 1940s Universal this is coloring outside the lines folks mm-hmm I am impressed.
2: I am less impressed than you (laughs) by uh, by the monster.
1: Oh no! no. Um, I I mean, I mean by oh, you mean the whole film? Yes, yes.
2: I'm sorry. Yes, yes. The idea itself. Yeah.
1: This isn't a you know this isn't what they were doing in the 40s in Mm. general. They weren't creating new
2: creatures. No, this is this This, this is a new creature. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And there's a lot of a lot of interesting ideas in this film that I think were kind of new for Universal. Yeah. And whether, you know, they may not all work, but I, I appreciate the film for the stuff it throws out there, you know, and goes in the mix, so.
1: Well, let's let's address, uh, let's address the, the first thing off the top. Neither top-billed actor is the star of the picture.
2: That's, yeah, to put it mildly.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, both of them get a little bit of screen time,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I, I hate to say it this way, I think Bela Lugosi has maybe two good scenes that have some meat mm-hmm. on their bones, mm-hmm. where he gets to play a little sinister or play a little arch. Yeah, the rest of the time he's the butler, mm. and that is all.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I didn't feel like Legosi was as wasted as Atwell. I mean, Atwell to me is really the one that's just like, why bother in this in this film uh, other than just billing? I know, but uh, but
1: well, but, I'm going to disagree with you really? a little bit, but only because Atwill is using every oh, he's good. scene he's in. Oh, yeah. To. Really have a good time.
2: Oh yeah, he's no, I I totally agree with you that he's he's good. I mean, he certainly gets to emote more than Bela does because yes, Bela yeah. has to play the dignified butler. But I think but Bela there's 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 some moments he has that I like. Uh, of course, a lot of it you can tell they have you can tell there were times that the director said, okay, we're just going to cut to you looking suspicious here because you're Bela gosi <laughs> and we want to keep you on as a suspect. And your name is above the title. Yes, and and so there's a few times where it just randomly cuts to him, you know, looking furtively around like. You know, like he's up to something when he's not really. But with Lionel Atwell, I mean, again, that 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 was I didn't know if there was something that you might have uncovered in your research as to explain why he does why he does such a quick exit from the film. Um, Unless they were really trying to set up a there's a couple of characters that they set up to make you think are going to be major characters. Right. But the whole way his character is handled is, I guess we'll wait till we get in the plot and we'll get back to it, but I didn't, I, I just, well, it, it's, a going, well, it's a puzzlement. Well, it's a puzzlement too. Okay, you've got these three doctors that show up. Lionel right. Atwell's one of them. I, uh, you know, they're all going to get bumped off. Why is Atwell the first one that's one of your top build stars? Why is he the first one that gets bumped off? Why does he, it even took me, you know, the way he exits the scene in a huff, it even kind of took me on second viewing to kind of put it all together that, yeah, he's just going up to his room, and then, you know, when he's killed later, when you don't see his body, you know, if well, they do not they don't keeping allow the name them, straight.
1: They, they don't, the the, the the damn Hays Code didn't sure, allow them to, to, to get a good look at the bodies. I yeah. mean, it's really, that 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 is a detriment, but that's a detriment, unfortunately, they couldn't find a way around.
2: Cause to me, the only thing that really made sense to me is, like, you know, Lionel Aptil's Making a movie in the studio, I mean, in the room, you know, set <laughs> next door, and they're just like, "Hey, Lionel, we need another name actor. Can you come over here and for a day? Can you come over here in your lunch break and film a couple of scenes, and then we'll let you go?" You know, I mean, it just is real baffling to me. I understand. Uh, yeah, and I, but I didn't know if there's anything. Have you come across anything that explains?
1: Well, it explains what the fact that they the have such that, small roles.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, like well, I mean, it's you know, we've we've seen these guys get small roles before, but just something a role that to me could have been expanded. Like, why not make him at least the second of your doctors to be killed off? Why was he the first? Your your name actor? Why do you kill him off first? That just baffles me. So,
1: <laughs> well, as for exactly why, for instance, that Lionel Latwell is the uh, the first of the three doctors off. Mm-hmm. i i I do not know. Yeah. Uh, I I don't I don't understand exactly why. Mm-hmm these two actors were chosen for those particular roles because, well, to be honest, let's be let's be clear, it's been argued by fans of these actors for decades now mm-hmm. that they, you know, if they're the stars, why isn't one of them playing the uh, character who turns out to be the monster and one mm-hmm. of them playing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, the guy who ends mm-hmm. up actually figuring it out or the local sheriff mm-hmm. or a character with a shit ton more screen time mm-hmm. than, you know, the butler and, you know, victim, you know, victim, well, technically victim number two or mm-hmm. three, yeah. but the first of the victims that we get, you know, mm-hmm. to, 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 well, that'd be the second victim that we get mm-hmm. to witness kind of on screen.
2: Now, could it be back to what we said uh, that there's, uh, you know, it's a low budget. I mean, literally, is this all they could afford to get out of that? It? Well, it's like, is, is it possibly That is something what, I've you know, wondered about yeah. because, um, like, well, i give you three scenes or something like that. Well, know?
1: here's the thing. We're, here's, here's the thing. I, watching the film a second or third time, what I began to wonder was, about Legosi's character, mm-hmm, I thought mm-hmm. my my questing mind started to started to wonder. Hey, are they trying to put us in a position where we were supposed to get a scene with Legosi near the end of the film that gives us an idea that he was aware of what was going on?
2: Yeah, thanks for saying that. That bugged me too. You know, that's one of the things about the film that bugged me is that Legosi's character gets no
1: there's wrap up him. for
2: at, at all. I mean, I thought they was going to have him yeah come in at some way at the end. In some form there, you know, to, to, like, kind of wrap up or put a closure on his character after you've built up all this stuff with his character. Like, what does he know? How much right, is he in right. on it? And then they just, like, they forget him.
1: And then the know. movie just doesn't tell yeah, you. Right, right. The movie completely drops that question. And, mm-hmm. and, and granted, you know, the first time you're going to watch the movie, you're probably, you're probably satisfied enough with the way it is yeah. that you're not thinking about, well, there's a dangling mm-hmm. thread that they've kind of been waving around in your face. Yeah. But I wonder, and I don't know, mm-hmm. And I found no proof of this thing that I'm about to put forth as a possibility. <laughs> uh-huh. I do wonder if there was a scene of that type and it got trimmed because, it, yeah, it, I, yeah, even at 73 minutes, mm-hmm. there's still things that they're, you're going to trim out of a movie like this. Mm-hmm. And you know, some inconsequential side character wrap-up, mm-hmm. you know, that turns out to be you know either he knew and was part of this pro, you know, part of what was going on, or didn't know and is completely shocked by what turns out to be you know his boss mm-hmm. his boss being a murderous scumbag it seems more likely I'll say this mm-hmm. that anybody who was you know who was in that in that house was mm-hmm. definitely affected by this yeah. man's encroaching insanity mm-hmm. and so he was probably the character besides the the fee, the kind of the the female flip side of of the butler character who we'll talk about as we get into this yeah. get into the description of this film that seems to me—it it seems like he had to have known mm-hmm. that something was wrong with the with the with the man who turns out to be the monster. Essentially, yeah. he he would have had to have known one way or another. Yeah. But the movie does not want to tell us one way yeah. or the other yeah. because it wants to wrap the film up in, yeah. and roll credits. Yeah. Well, so as to an answer, a definitive answer, mm-hmm. I don't got one. No.
2: Sorry. no. I <laughs> wish
1: I wish I did. Yeah. No. <sighs> And as for why you know Lionel Atwell's in the film so, so you know, mm. so little,
3: yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, may, maybe that was a decision made on the fly because he was definitely working his ass off to overshadow everybody else on screen. <laughs>
2: yeah. <I don't> <laughs> hey, hey, Pinky's gonna chew the scenery too much, guys. We got to get him out of here. We, right here. here. <laughs> we can't have this guy doing
1: this. Holy crap! So, Atwell, I gotta say, I do absolutely love. The obvious low low esteem in which he holds his his oh, one too. of the other doctors who's babbling on about glands all the time. Yeah,
2: that's one of the few little hints of humor, and it's actually pretty well handled. They're like yes. talking about glands. Yeah, the guy talking about the yeah, and even Bela has a good good little smart smart you know in the, in the last yeah. line that. The last line that the guy who's all about the glands, you know, says to Atwell as Atwell is storming off in a huff and, you know, and and, 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 and says something about his glandular gl- situation or, or condition. And yes. Lagosi actually has a really nice smirk on his face reaction to that interchange between the two of them there. That's one of his better moments in the film.
1: Well, and it does point to um, stuff within this movie that you wish there was more of. Yeah. Stuff yeah. like that.
2: Yeah. Right?
1: That's not what the movie's interested in, but... Mm-hmm. Your 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 enjoyment of this film will will come down to whether or not you enjoy uh, what the movie is giving you, as opposed to what it is not interested mm-hmm. in giving you. So,
4: mm-hmm.
1: let's talk a little bit about the cast before we dive into the story. I want to bring up Leif Erickson first because I love Vikings.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> actually,
1: actually, of course, Leif Erickson is a stage name for William Wycliffe Anderson. Uh, he uh, he had uh, had an had an, impre- had an impressive career. And uh, I was I was really stunned to learn that he was uh, he, he was a uh, he was he got two Purple Hearts in World War Two yeah he was shot down twice, twice in the Pacific and he wasn't he wasn't a combat officer he was uh, he was part of the unit that filmed and photographed uh, uh, combat he yeah. was, he was using a camera instead of a gun, and yeah. still managed to get yeah.
2: still managed shot to get twice. shot twice. <laughs> uh,
1: he's one of the people who actually uh, filmed the uh, Japanese surrender aboard the USS Missouri mm-hmm. uh, in September '45, and then uh, segued in segue back into making movies again. He made some mm-hmm. movies with Betty Grable before, you know, back in the thirties and stuff like this. He ended up doing. Uh, like Abbott and Costello meet, uh, meet Captain Kidd he was in uh, the Snake Pit sorry wrong number uh, you might remember him. I remembered it definitely from Invaders from Mars oh absolutely yeah 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 but he was also in On the Waterfront and the Carbon yeah. and he's uh, he's kind of he's, he's kind of amazing as uh, the, uh, the the kind of scumbag boat engineer oh. in uh, the 1951 version of Showboat by the way if you've yeah. never seen that yeah. he's really he's, he's really good in that but he did a shit ton of television mm-hmm. as well, and uh, I just I, every time I see his name, I just think to myself, "Wow, <laughs> they got a Viking in this thing." Yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, and he is a big guy. The, said, he all.
2: would make a pretty imposing Viking. Yes, indeed. I mean, to me, he's the scariest thing about this movie. <laughs> he is. He's pretty damn scary well, character. Really. He is a
1: scary character. I mean, when you, when you, when, honestly, he's the perfect embodiment of 40s sexual predator.
2: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, because he like. He's a scumbag. Yes, he is. If, he, if there's a woman on screen, he's leering at her. Mm-hmm. Even if she's a, a woman who's clearly 25 years older than he is.
2: Oh, that's the... No, which that's, was nuts. <laughs>
1: <sighs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Lee Ferrickson, uh, good actor. Glad to see him in this. Wow, odd. Uh, odd, <laughs> odd to have a character this uh, sexually, uh, yeah. sexually um, out there. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. like... Hitting on everything in a skirt. <laughs> yep. Crazy town. Now, the female lead, I guess you'd call her the female lead. She's kind of the hero of the picture, in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is a female psychologist, or psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, played by Irene Hervey. Uh, the character's name is Lynn Harper. Uh, her, her real name was Beulah. Poor girl. <laughs> Beulah Irene. Oh, poor thing. Anyway, she's impressive and it was it it, it says a lot that getting her in this movie was considered quite a coup Mm -hmm. especially by the other actors who are people who generally wanted to actually work with her because of Mm -hmm. her previous work I remember her definitely from Destry Rides Again with Jimmy Stewart Mm -hmm. uh, which by the way if you haven't seen that movie go see it yeah she's good the whole movie's good check it out check it out check it out I found out an odd thing about her career which is that uh in 43, the year after this movie, she was in a car accident and was forced to, to kind of retire from acting for five years. Now, she did return and make mm. a, a lot of movies after that, but it's one of those one of those things where it's like, I almost want to learn more details about this horrible car accident that kept her out of the business for five years, and there's a part of me that goes, mm. maybe I don't want to know the details of this. That sounds mm. like it might be a bit gruesome. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when she came back to acting in 48, she... She did a number of films, uh, Mister Peabody and the Mermaid, and stuff like that. But she also did a lot of television series work: uh, Richard Diamond, uh, Peter Gunn, Hawaiian Eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of people I know will remember her as uh, Honey West's uh, oh, yeah. car- uh, Honey West's Aunt Meg.
2: Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> which,
1: which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, it is. <laughs> In 1969, she was nominated for an Emmy Award for outstanding single performance by an actress in a supporting role for an appearance on My Three Sons. And uh, she was in uh, Play Misty for me with for Clint Eastwood, which was Eastwood's first film as director. Yeah. So, you know, he clearly had some knowledge of her work or maybe even some history with her that I'm unaware of and that would not surprise me. Uh, Eastwood is one of those... Uh, old Hollywood guys who mm. had a tendency to hang on to his friends and to use them as the years went by and, and bit roles and supporting roles in the mm. movies as he became somebody in the uh, in the industry who had more and more control over his movies. Yeah. The character she plays in this movie is kind of the the solid center of yeah. the kind of swirling madness that's all around her. She's mm. teamed with another character played by Don Porter and they're kind of the uh, in a strange way they're kind of the uh, the the uh, the, the, th- the Thin Man husband and wife mm-hmm. team mm-hmm. to a large mm-hmm. degree attempting mm-hmm. to figure this mystery out, to figure out what mm-hmm. exactly is going on and whether yeah. or not a certain character is crazy, uh, mm-hmm. who's doing all these murders, what is all this weird blood that's all over the house in odd spots. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's, she's very good at the movie, yeah. but uh, there's a part of me that also feels that it would have been a really great role for... Uh, Oh, I don't know. Let's say an actress that we've seen in other Universal horror movies, but mm-hmm. it just my mind immediately goes mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. and she was in the Wolfman, and she was in.
2: Miss Anchors would have been good. In this.
1: Ellen Anchors mm-hmm. maybe would have been a good, a good a good choice for this role, but at the same time, Miss Hervey is excellent. Yeah, and I can't I can't fault anything about her. She's really good in this role, mm-hmm. and maybe it's a good thing that someone who mm-hmm. is once again at that point so so much identified with these kind of programmers isn't in this movie because it's something that makes another... It's another element that kind mm-hmm. of shifts it from the standard mm-hmm. of the time. Mm-hmm. But good stuff there. We've already mentioned Don Porter who plays a character who... Uh, I love these kind of characters in movies which are characters who are set up to kind mm-hmm. of be able to comment on yeah. the type of story mm-hmm. that their character is involved sure. in.
2: Well, just the fact that he's a... Fiction writer, kind of his little hint, nod towards the Seven Keys to Bald Page, you know, which obviously this film draws some inspiration from. Those type films.
1: Very true, very true. And the the, the actor's name is Don Porter, who um, most people are going to know because he was he was Gidget's dad.
2: Dick Baldwin is the name of the character. Don. The Donald actor.
1: Porter's the actor.
2: Right, 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 right. Don but he, and I think Dick is that right? Dick Baldwin, I think, is the oh, name the of the character he name? plays. I
1: believe. I think that's what. I, yes, Dick Baldwin yeah. is the name of the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people are going to know Don Porter because he was Gidget's dad. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> the uh, the 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 image of him sitting with a pipe in a oh, chair yeah, exactly, is yeah. pretty <laughs> much one of those things where it's like, where do I know this guy from? <laughs> but he was in a blue bajillion things mm-hmm. as well. And as soon as you see him on screen, most people are going to go, oh, I know that guy. He's one of those character actors mm-hmm. where you're just, oh, I know this guy. I know this guy. I know this guy. And that's because he was in a ton of things. Green Acres, $6 million yeah. man, a Y5O. Uh, he played uh, Jack Tripper's uncle on Three's Company, for God's sake.
4: Uh,
1: <laughs> I mean, he was, he was making movies up into the 70s. He was in... Um, Uh, The candidate in 72. uh, Good lord, he made an Elvis movie. There's anyway, Don Porter, he's really great in this. There's there's something about him that's really rock solid, and I like seeing him on screen. And he plays. uh, Let's put it this way. I don't know how else to put this about particular actors. He plays well with others. Yeah. Yeah. He seems to be able to enhance other people's performances in a way mm-hmm. that reflects well on him as yeah. well and sometimes it's the dialogue don't get me wrong sometimes sure. it's the character that he's playing but he's great in this movie mm-hmm. he's one of those characters who, ad- who seems to add a little, a little bit of a juice to the scenes that he's in mm-hmm. and like I say some of that is the way his character's written but also it's just his performance as well he's good at this kind of thing
4: yeah
1: and now we come to spoiler warning people an actor mm-hmm. playing a role that is very important to this movie yes the patriarch of this particular old dark house Kurt Ing- Ingston Ingston and I always want to mispronounce it I want to add an extra I want to add an, an extra, str- add an extra syllable or something, or something. Yeah, or yeah. Yeah, yeah I want to add something <laughs> into that last name it's Ingston
2: yeah
1: which just doesn't roll yeah. off the tongue the way it should <laughs> Kurt Ingston Kurt Ingston see I yeah, knew it again
2: yeah.
1: uh, played by Ralph Morgan who uh, my lord
2: yeah that was quite a career
1: what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a career! Well, I, being the weirdo that I am, of course, remember him from the uh, serial, the monster and the ape from 1945. But that's just because I'm a sick, strange man. He was in uh, he was in one of the Thin Man movies in 1947. Uh, the Monster Maker in 1944. Hitler's Mad Men in 1943. <laughs> we'll see him again in one of the Interstincta movies, Weird Woman when we get to that cool. in 1944 yeah. he was in The Mad Doctor 1941 uh, one of the Dick Tracy films an Ellery Queen movie uh, one of the Lone Wolf films jeez uh, <laughs> Ralph Morgan is one of those guys if you watch enough classic uh, classic Hollywood stuff you're going to see him yeah. I mean magnificent yeah. magnificent obsession The Ex-Mrs. Bradford The Kennel Murder Case Orient Express Stand Up and Cheer The Last Gentleman Uh Oh, another, uh, by the way, a serial I haven't seen, which uh, those are rare, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jungle Mystery from 1932. He was the narrator in that. So at least I got to hear his voice. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, uh, Charlie Chan's Chance. Yeah. is in a blue Jillian films. But, you know, stretching all the way back to The Silent Era, yeah. of course. But he plays, uh, spoilers, the bad guy
2: mm-hmm. in mm-hmm.
1: this movie. And what's great is that uh turns out... Uh, It's kind of good casting because he's so good at playing an affable, likeable, nice guy Uh uh who presents just a really benign Mm. face to the outside world. And, uh, yeah, when that turn comes, when slowly Mm. things start to happen, you're just like, okay, the movie's been telling me it kind of has to be this character.
2: Well, one of one of the best exchanges is is he has with uh with uh, uh, the writer character Dick Baldwin, you know, where he sees when they've started to realize some people have started been killed, and he asks him, he says, "So in these books you write, who normally turns out to be the killer?" And the writer says, "The one you least suspect." And he says, "Well, that would be me, wouldn't it?" You know, and it's it's it, which is a great yeah right there telling you. But I didn't have an aha moment at that. And I, you know, I wonder how many people watching the first time <laughs> through, like, you know, you just, it, it's great the whole way the scene's ended. They just told you right there yep, who yep. it is. And, and most people, but it would totally go past you, you know. You, yeah,
1: but the it, thing is, once they start off in characters, you get to a point where, well, where yeah. you have to realize it's like, well, there's only yeah. so many people it could be yeah, because everybody else is crooked.
2: And plus we should be, you know, and um, usually when I'm watching a murder mystery the first thing I think of when I see a crippled character is, are they really crippled? I didn't do it in this case. It didn't actually cross my mind, you know. Well, the
1: usually, movie really drives home in yeah. a scene later in the movie that okay, this guy has not got legs.
2: Oh, sure. At that point, yeah. At that point, you're like, like, oh, okay okay, then, okay,
1: okay. Well, if he's the killer, then this I start is have thinking something. Like, yeah. But the movie's already planted one idea in your mm-hmm, head about yeah. how even without legs, this guy could be the killer mm-hmm. because he's made mention of. Having uh, had some mechanical means of making his right arm move. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, aha, mechanical legs, maybe. Yeah. But of course, that's not how, that's yeah. not the trigger that gets pulled on this thing. No, not at <laughs> Although all. Although
2: they do mention the mechanical legs, which is pretty amusing yeah. towards the last one of them, you know, the, well, the the, the, the doddering sheriff character, yes. you know, who's just, I think he's the one that says, oh, mechanical legs or something. And it turns out, nope.
1: It was a good guess.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it was a good guess. one of his few good guesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I have, to, I have to admit, I do, I do enjoy uh, Robert Holman uh, as the police. I do too, guy.
2: and he actually. There's times when he becomes a little more. I mean, he's not totally. An oh, he's idiot. not a doofus. He set up at first like he's going to be a doofus, yeah. but then he actually pretty quickly figures out that he that something serious is going on. He still has some later doofus moments, but for the most part, he's actually you know pretty dialed into what's, you know, trying actually trying to to, you you first think he's gonna be the character through the whole movie that that just takes being hit on the head by a brick to convince, but that's not (laughs) the case. Not the case. He does actually pretty quickly realize that, okay, I need to get out there and 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 do my job.
0: I think you know who killed those doctors. You've got to tell us in order to prevent other deaths. I can't I can't do that.
1: As we've already mentioned, this movie was shot under the title of House of Mystery. And I still, I, I really do think that that may have been the better title to mm-hmm. go with. Yeah. Because Night Monster is kind of, man, if, if, if House of Mystery is considered a generic title, man, what <laughs> it, what the hell is Night Monster? But yeah. just anyway, let's dive into a synopsis of this thing. Once again, we're going to be using the uh, the Universal Horrors book for our synopsis. And uh, stop me when you have something bizarre to say about this movie, <laughs> Troy.
2: Okay, well, let's start with the opening scene. We get the, not bizarre, but just fun that we get the the werewolf woods. I always call them the Wolfman Woods, I guess is what I always call them. The Wolfman Woods, which yeah. I think we've probably seen at least three or four movies so far oh, as yeah. the opening credits. I actually was trying to remember if they used it in the film that this was paired with, with the, oh, the mummy's wow. tomb. I'm trying to almost think I if that was the... I don't know. Maybe,
1: remember. but I don't think so.
2: I don't think they did with that, but I know we've seen them several times. I mean, why wouldn't you use them? It's the perfect, you know, the woods and the fog. Well. It's a great way to start a movie, but it's 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 actually one of several... Connections to the Wolfman that we'll get into as we go forward, but uh, yeah, but that was my first thought. Is like, well, oh, we're in the Wolfman woods. If you right. want to,
1: if you want to talk about things being borrowed from other Universal yeah. horror films, yeah. let's talk about the fact that I don't think there's an original piece of music no, no, in this no. entire movie. <laughs> yeah. I think every cue in this film yeah. was borrowed from some previous film, mm. and uh, yeah. it, it gets to a point where I, you know, so, so some of them are so. To me, iconic.
2: Oh, yeah. That, it's the Salter's greatest hit. So. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's one of those things where you're just like, okay, wait a minute here. <laughs> I know this music, and this mm-hmm. music doesn't necessarily, I mean, it works, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really belong yeah, here. Yeah,
2: not really. Because it's
1: making me think of another movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the movie starts with, okay, so th- th- this is how this begins. It says, in the foyer of the desolate Ingston Towers Estate, mm-hmm. Margaret Ingston, played by Faye Helm, Uh, Catches housekeeper Sarah Judd, played by Doris Lloyd, in the act of sopping up bloodstains from a carpet. Margaret's not sure if she's nuts or if everybody else in the house is. And and to solve this riddle, she has sent for a woman psychiatrist, Dr. Lynn Harper.
2: And by the way, we get uh, early in the film uh, describing uh, Miss Margaret Inkston there, we get uh, my favorite word pops up from the 40s horror films, overwrought. And I've talked (laughs) to her, I love love the overwrought. She's overwrought.
1: (laughs) Yes, That's only one step away from hysteria.
2: Yes. (laughs) Hysteria. It's the genteel way of saying, you nuts. <laughs> yeah.
1: You not gone crazy.
2: crazy. <laughs>
1: uh, we should mention that Faye Helm is another connection to the yes, Wolfman. She, is. Yes, she yes, played yes. Jenny in the Wolfman, mm-hmm. which I think was uh, the she the first victim. First
2: victim. First yeah, victim, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. She's also Killed uh, by a Yeah.
1: And she's she's also in uh, Phantom Lady, which is a a really, a really great uh, film noir mm-hmm. from a couple of years later. And a number of other films. Uh Captive Wild Woman, she plays a nurse in that. She's a, she's gonna be in Calling Doctor Death later on when we get to that one, which is another one of the mm-hmm. uh intersective yep. movies. Mm-hmm. So uh she's a she's an actress we'll talk more about mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh well, uh Judd, that's the uh
2: Housemaid or House yeah, I guess housemaid maid, whatever, headmaid, whatever.
1: She's the housekeeper. That's housekeeper, right. Housekeeper, yeah, yes, yeah. that's the word. Thank you. Uh, well, the housekeeper angrily tells Margaret that Kurt Ingston, Mar- that's Margaret's crippled and reclusive brother, mm-hmm. has summoned his own personal physicians who are due to arrive shortly. After the two exit, Millie the maid, which sounds out.
2: like a sounds like a TV sitcom or a comic <laughs> book, And you know, there's like Millie the maid. Yeah,
1: Millie the maid. Uh, played by Janet Shaw who's an actress who uh, has uh, well uh, enough credits that we we definitely have uh, seen her in other films Mm -hmm. Uh, she was uh, she was the reason that Alfred Hitchcock actually took a look at this movie while they were making it because he had an eye on her for a role in Shadow of a Doubt which Mm -hmm. she was in the next year but the uh Millie the Maid character she plays uh, has been eavesdropping, and she's apparently had enough. She phones the local sheriff to apprise him of the mysterious goings-on in this here house. And then Rolf the Butler, and that's the Bella Lugosi character, disconnects her as she's trying to talk to the police and insists on knowing what gossip she is planning to spread. His interrogation is interrupted by the appearance of Lori... That's uh, the Lee Ferrickson character. Yeah.
2: Our rapist chauffeur. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, well, he's described here as a loudish <laughs> yeah. chauffeur who, quote-unquote, rescues the girl from the suddenly aggressive Rolf. Well, uh, Millie quits her job, and uh, Rolf says that he'll give her a ride into town. Uh, what Laurie is looking for is just a ride, though, himself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Lori- yes. Lori uh, gets her about halfway there, pulls off and yeah. uh, pulls off the side of the road, and uh, turns into quite the masher. Yeah. <laughs> she exits the she exits the uh, the car, goes down the road, and manages to get picked up by a local farmer in a wagon who's hauling something to town.
2: hmm
1: <laughs> I don't think we ever figured out. It. Was it hay? I don't know, it doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> well, Lori drives on to the railroad depot to pick up the newly arrived Doctor's King. Timmons and Phipps. Now, Dr. King is played by Lionel Atwill. Timmons is played by Frank R- uh, Riker, mm-hmm. and Phipps is played by Francis Pierlot. The physicians who attended Kurt Ingston—that's the patriarchal character in this house—in mm-hmm. uh, his major illness a few years before. Uh, Timmons, which did not go well. We yeah, it did not go well. And, and we, at this point in the film, we haven't even seen this character. All we've heard about is that he's uh, essentially an invalid. Mm-hmm. Well, Timmons, the, that, that doctor, is guilt-ridden about Inkston's disability, but the pompous Dr. King, Lionel Atwell's character, seems unconcerned, and the Dottie Phipps prattles on and on about glands. <laughs> Everything's a gland
2: Now, problem. Atwell was definitely cast as the right doctor, because yes. when have we ever seen Atwell remorseful for anything medically that he has done in any
1: film? <laughs> well, and I love the dialogue that he has, <laughs> yeah. where it's he, he makes a good case for, yeah, hey, he we def- did everything yeah, that sure. was Feasible. We did everything that was even possible for us mm-hmm. to do, and
2: yeah, the other doctor character seems to be taking going a little, little too far and blaming himself over you know, reasonably blaming himself for right. you know, what was obviously a difficult situation, physical situation.
1: Yeah, yeah. That do, are you as? I, I sometimes get irritated by this in older films mm-hmm. where for some reason they can't or won't. Explain what in the fuck these was he in an accident? Was it a (laughs) disease? I know
2: what you're saying. Yeah, it's like like, what
1: what Mm. were you treating this man for? Yeah, I don't need details, but I do at least need a description of whatever the because it's (laughs) so vague. Yeah, that it drives me Mm -hmm. batshit sometimes trying to trying to figure out well what the hell would cripple this guy, Mm. and then later on we find out that it deprived him of three of his limbs. Yeah, it's like. This had to be an accident, mm-hmm. right?
4: Yeah. And if it was an yeah.
1: accident, would these doctors really Sounds be that upset? Sounds like he was dropped from a fucking plane
2: or something. You right, know? right. Like, I mean,
1: would these doctors really be upset mm-hmm. because he was in an accident and they couldn't save I mean, you know, yeah. save him from being paralyzed? It's like...
2: Kind of goes with the to job, guys. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I,
1: I don't... I, I, I would have preferred mm-hmm. at least something yeah. <laughs> to give us an idea of whatever the hell mm-hmm. this quote-unquote illness was because, man, it kind of drives me nuts. Yeah. But... Minor concern, and it's a, but it is a minor concern that I I can I can point to a lot of movies. Actually. Yeah,
2: sure. <laughs>
1: <sighs> well, in town, Millie tries to uh to get one of the townsmen, Jeb Harmon. That's the the guy who uh, drove uh, drove, the dro- wagon, drove, huh? the, drove the wagon to drive her to the tower so that she can collect her belongings. Old Jeb is reluctant because of the tower's proximity to Pollard Slaw,
4: <laughs>
1: the fog-bound marsh where a local physician was recently strangled by a killer so horrible. That in his presence the frogs stop croaking. croaking. Billy gets her way, and Harmon drives her in his horse-drawn buggy to the towers at nightfall, and waits at the main gate as she walks up to the house. We should also say something. They don't mention here is that before she goes back out there to try to get her stuff, she tries to convince the sheriff, mm-hmm. the uh, the police captain, begs to that uh, that there's some that there's stuff going on out there, but she just doesn't have any proof, and so he kind of. Kind of pushes all her concerns to the side. Well, when they they get out there to the towers, and uh he waits at the at the main gate while she walks up to the house. But Can we minutes, talk
2: about the gatekeeper? <laughs>
1: okay, the gate Torque, 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 the crippled
2: gatekeeper. I just he's, I, a, like, he's got
1: like a hunchback. Yeah, it's like right? the
2: hunchback. Yeah, I just I love, and like you said, a great cast of bizarre characters. of I mean, oh yeah, you know, we, we we got Millie the maid. We've got the 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 rapey chauffeur. You know, we've got you yep. know as we'll see, we've got a mentalist there. You know, we've got. Several. We've got a you know a crippled recluse. We've got the hunchback gatekeeper. I mean, named Tork. You know, it's just a great cast of characters.
1: Well, the actor who plays the hunchback gatekeeper yeah. was uh, the director for BB's uh, father-in-law. Yeah, so right. <laughs> apparently, he used him in a number of little roles like that throughout <laughs> his career. I guess it's I guess it's good to keep on your father-in-law's yeah. good side. Uh, <clears throat> well, uh, minutes later, the the old gatekeeper Tork there relays to to. Uh, to Jeb, uh, Jeb, uh, Jeb Harmon the false phone message that Millie has decided to spend the night mm-hmm. and Harmon departs. Now we, without even being told we know that's got to be BS yes, yes. because we saw Millie going in and getting the sneer treatment from Bella Lugosi because it's like mm-hmm. eh, yeah, yeah she, she ain't planning to stay out there. Now when the croaking of the frogs abruptly ceases the frightened Harmon whips his horse into a gallop racing down the lonely road past psychiatrist Lynn Harper, that's the Irene Hervey character, Mm -hmm. and her disabled car. Millie has just begun the long walk back to town when a sinister something attacks her in the fog. Lynn Lynn hears Millie scream and dimly spots the killer through the mists. We've had a description of a physician who was killed recently Mm -hmm. uh, there outside, somewhere near that house. Mm -hmm. So it turns out Millie would be technically the second victim, right? Yeah. So... Millie uh, Millie gets attacked. Well, she's she, uh, Lynn hears Millie scream, and then, uh, Millie the maid goes down for the count. Uh,
4: yeah,
2: it's a shame uh, too. I was hoping her character would stick around longer. She yeah, was a fun character. Yeah, yeah,
1: kind of like that. Kind of like that character. She had a little sass. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, she, uh, Lynn flags down an approaching car, which conveniently is headed for Inkston Towers. The driver is Dick Baldwin. That's the Don Porter character. Mm-hmm. He's a mystery writer and a friend of Kurt Ingston. It turns out that uh, they uh, visit uh, pretty regularly and uh, talk about murder mysteries and talk about uh, the books that he's writing. Well, Lynn and Dick arrive together at the towers where Kurt, the, that's the mm-hmm. Ralph, Ralph Morgan character, the patriarch of this place, gr- he greets them and after and uh, basically kind of... They, everybody mills around. Everybody gets in, introduced to each other. We've got the three doctors
3: mm-hmm.
1: who are... Uh, you know, at least some way responsible for this uh, for for Kurt being a cripple. They're in the house for the weekend for whatever reason they thought was a good idea. Uh, <laughs> and we've got all these other characters, and after dinner, Angor Singh, who's another guest in the house there, uh, lectures on a new healing process. Now, Angor Singh is a is 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 a Hindu, mm-hmm. so we've got a little Hindu mysticism here, and Singh. Uh, basically shows them a, a very interesting process that can be done through mm. the power of the mind. Much the same way that a lobster can regenerate a new claw, man can grow new tissues at will through an understanding of the nature of cosmic substance. Mm. Cosmic substance, cosmic by the substance. way, is a synonym for bullshit.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, see, Satan spends this all out there and just about the time I'm sitting there watching this movie for the first time thinking yeah right mm-hmm. pull the other one yeah he demonstrates yes <laughs> he goes into a deep trance and the assembled party watches in astonishment as a kneeling skeleton materializes out <laughs> of thin air right there in the room with them yeah in the ensuing commotion Singh is startled back to consciousness and the skeleton vanishes blood which had dripped from the skeleton's hands fails to disappear from the library rug Therefore, proof that he did what he said he was going to be able to do and materialize something out of thin air.
2: Now, had this film played on TV when I was a kid, which it didn't, or had I come across this as a young kid, this would have been the point I would have woken up. I would have probably been <laughs> squirming quite a bit, wondering where the night monster is, you know, yeah. just in there. But the skeleton, you, you know, I'd, I'd be all about like, that. Ooh, Ooh materialize the, the skeleton. Yep, yep, I'm there.
1: And if you'd been paying attention, you'd be like, aha, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. There was th- there's the, this puddle of blood that was on the stairs. Yeah. And disappears. appears to, wait a minute, wait a minute, is this skeleton walking around the house? <laughs> yeah. What the hell is going on here? So, yeah, this is when uh, the movie kicks into uh, more than, you know, th- this is not a murder mystery we've got some supernatural elements going on here.
2: Well, I mean, at my point, I was, well, you know, I was, I was expecting, well, at some point they'll explain away how he managed to fake this, but, uh, yeah. Keep, oh, keep, wow. keep watching. Yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. So Because yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> I'm expecting to be a murder, I'm expecting to be a whodunit. And in whodunits, yeah, you're always you're right. expecting everything to be explained away. But yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, little yeah, did I know. Yeah. You're
1: kind of expecting a Scooby-Doo thing exactly. where at the end, yeah. all these supernatural things get explained away as, as, yeah. as trickery of some type. You're yeah, right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Well, by this time Billy's body's turned up and while investigating it, we, we once again meet local lawman, uh, Captain Beggs, who begins to question the occupants of the house. Now I like this old guy. He's a he's mm-hmm. a heavy set, older mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. He's, he's he's a backwoods kind of guy, mm-hmm. but he's not an idiot. Yeah, and yeah. He, and he was, does not take any BS from anybody. Yeah. I was kind of impressed with that. I do his like that.
2: That's why I like that his character, because it wasn't the way the character started for me. I like the way that they first make you think that he's going to be kind of clueless, and you know. And yeah. then he shows some real, that he's actually got definitely some fire and yeah. definitely takes control of a situation. He doesn't always make the right guess or the right conclusion, but he's always, you know, he's definitely, once he comes in, he's like, I don't care who you are.
1: Yeah, he's not Every, an idiot. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. not an idiot. And that's. That's, I was afraid that they might play it that way, yeah. but they don't. Yeah, me too. Sadly, his inquiry is interrupted by the discovery of the dead body of Dr. King. Mm-hmm. So, exit Lionel Atwell.
2: Yeah, yeah. 30 minutes into the film.
1: And I will I will say this up front. Um, one of the frustrations we've already mentioned, I'll, I'll just come right out and say, is that because of the Hayes Code and because of the notes that they got when they submitted mm-hmm. the script, mm-hmm. they can't even really show the bodies of these of these murder victims mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they somehow got away with showing uh, Millie's body after she was dead. Yeah,
2: maybe there's a certain number of bodies you can show. They show her body yeah. and they show Laurie's body, but they don't show either the three doctors. It's like five's too many. You know, like it's only a yeah. certain number. You get two. You know, you get two times. You get two bodies you can show, or something like that. Is that what? The... We
1: we really only get yeah. to see the three doctors' mm-hmm. bodies hidden behind a bed. We get to see like yeah. an arm sticking yeah. out, and then everybody's kneeling down and looking at the body that we can't see, mm-hmm. and it, and it becomes this thing where. Um, they're just strangled, so it's not as if they yeah. were, they, the bodies would present some kind of you know overly gruesome to use the mm. exact word that the mm. the Hayes code used repeatedly yeah. to mm. describe things that they better not do. You know, don't, mm. don't you know can't, shouldn't be overly gruesome. And mm. it's like, you know, you look at the word gruesome in the dictionary and try to figure out what the hell they're trying to keep you from doing. <laughs> uh, but the frustration for me is that because they have to hide these these bodies behind the beds those scenes of the of the of the three deaths of the doctors at least mm-hmm. are very same samey yeah. we we yeah. they get to feel a little bit like uh you know carbon mm-hmm. copies of each other and mm-hmm. it, it is a, it's a it's a sad thing because it, it becomes uh one of those things where these as these murders pile up they should be ramping things up a little bit yeah. but unfortunately because they're they're not allowed to show the bodies it kind of hampers it a little bit
2: it kind of lessens your the impact of this character yeah. that was once living now being gone i i think from what they were able to show, I do like, I think the second doctor's death is the most effective because that's the one where it does that nice thing with the shadow. Oh, yeah, that's and, good stuff. You know, growing larger to kind of, you know, just take up well, the whole screen. That's well done. The
1: third it's, one's good, too, because it's uh, yeah. it's a it's a POV shot from yeah, the point of yeah, view of the killer. Yeah, right, yeah. Which is actually good, but then again, once again, when we're showing the body, once again, it's hidden. By yeah, it's the just bed. hidden. It's your, yeah. So they're, they're, the director is clearly trying to find a way to show these murders mm-hmm. very differently each time but it, it never fails that he's just not going to be allowed to yeah. show the corpses in a different okay. way he's not going to be yeah. able to stage he gets to stage two dead bodies yeah. and he, he does what he can with yeah. them and of course the, the, the when we get to Laurie's death he, he gets to hang him in a closet right. which is good which is very different we get to actually yeah. see it but even then, there were there were all kinds of notes from the Hayes people, the yeah. Hayes Code people, you know the saying yeah. this can't be too gruesome. We right. can't you know there are all these different things they were listening that we can't see when we see his body and all this that and the other. And it's like it's almost it's almost it's, incredible that they got away with what they got away with.
2: It is actually, and yeah, you know, I think it's most destir- detrimental to the killing of Dr. King, Lionel Atoll's character, because it is Lionel Atwell. I think it really makes it even more kind of confusing that it's him, you know, when you're not expecting his character to leave so quickly and it's yep. been a little while since you've seen his character and it didn't really show him go to his room or anything. And because they can't show the body, I mean, unless you just really totally remembered that his, that that was that his character was named Dr. King, that that was the name of his character, then I think it's kind of takes a little bit longer for it to really sink into you that, oh, that's who's just been killed.
1: Yeah. And it, not being able to show the bodies, it, it it's mm-hmm. it's difficult. We've got a lot of characters in this movie yeah, yeah, and did, not yeah. all the names are going to stick. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, of course, it turns out that Lionel Iwell's character, Dr. King, has been strangled, uh, but not wounded, quote-unquote. But strangely enough, even though there's no, he's not been stabbed or anything like that, there is a st- pool of blood near his body. Mm-hmm. So, huh. A skeleton. A skeleton, maybe? Yeah. Well, from this point on, Night Monster is in a great hurry to kill off as many characters mm. as possible in the remaining running time. <laughs> Dr. Timmons is murdered in his room by the night monster and this is the one where you're right Mm -hmm. we see him only in shadow and then Dr. Phipps uh, is certain that he will be next and agrees to let Laurie smuggle him out of the house to safety that night. That's a pretty I I really like the scene where Laurie comes to him and you can't tell if Laurie is like Trying to screw, try, is he try to trying screw to set him, 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 over, him up set him over, set yeah, set him up for something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or if he's really like, look, let me get you the hell out of here. You're gonna end up dead.
2: And it's it's okay. So you did like that. I, I think I do too. I had I kind of went back and forth on well, whether it was whether it was clever or whether it was clumsy. Because here's the thing: is like I don't mind. I like when a character is given depth, like to or given a, a more complexity. Because to this point, we think Laurie's just a total scumbag, right? I wish we'd been given maybe a little more reason why he... Because obviously what we find out is he was actually trying to save this doctor. um, And Laurie pays the price for it, you know, because he obviously then, the killer figures out that Laurie's trying to to help somebody escape. And so that leads to Laurie's death, you know. But I think my my thing about it is, like, is it... I was trying to debate, is it kind of just convenient that suddenly Laurie turns out to have this decent side to him or is it nice I would argue that it's not
1: necessarily him having a decent side you think I think that him trying to get him out of the house Mm -hmm. if he's really trying to get him out of the house I think he may I think he may have I think he may have gone through with this in order to extract some money from the guy oh really Really? I, there, there's nothing specific hmm. in the movie, Okay. but this character, as he's played, doesn't seem like he's going to be a nice enough guy to no, do this really without doesn't. getting something out yeah, of it.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. But
1: the it's reason right. that I like it being in the movie, even without an explanation for mm-hmm. uh, exactly what Laurie might have wanted to do, mm-hmm. what kind of if he wanted to extract some money from this guy or this mm-hmm. that, of the other, because I don't, I just, I don't see him as necessarily uh, a guy good enough to try to save someone from certain death. Yeah, but. In, in the in the plotting of the film, what it does is put you in a position of starting to think about this character and wonder, oh well, I wonder which way he's going to fall. And then the movie immediately yanks the rug out from under you by going, it doesn't matter, he's fucking he's dead. dead.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. His most, I guess, his most, uh, the thing about Laurie, like the, the way his character really just goes, where it goes totally strange. What they're doing with the character is, is you know, early in the film he flirts with. You know, uh, Miss Judge. Oh, you know, I know.
1: The, the older lady. And, yes.
2: and you think that he's the just messing with, the
1: housekeeper. The
2: housekeeper. Yes. You think he's just messing with her. That he's just being, uh, you know, a jerk or just making her feel uncomfortable but then later in the film when she faints and he takes her to his room and he next shows up with claw marks on his face and she shows up demanding he be arrested you realize he really did try and assault her he really he did, did sexually after. assault i this mean one. i put in my notes i put he apparently will just assault anything in a skirt you know yeah
1: it's, <laughs> yeah. it's one of those things in the movie but nobody even nobody comments, comments on it yeah and there's this part of it that goes okay so in the 40s did we just accept that occasionally men were going to show up with with yeah fingernail scratches on their face
2: it really bugged me to the second time i, I saw the film I was really wanting to pay attention to that because the first time I think like you know I didn't understand who it was who even clawed him at first I was thinking like isn't somebody going to say something about this and then I realized that when I admit it didn't dawn on me the part where she does then come in and and she's demanding the sheriff arrest Laurie. but but again people don't really pay that much attention to it it's not much drawn to it so it kind of slips by you you know that what she's saying is he tried to assault her and she scratched him you know but (laughs) it's just strange
1: (laughs) it is it is definitely strange well when they find Phipps's body, there's also there's another trail of blood that leads that that's the trail of blood that actually leads them to the closet where they find Lori's body hung, mm-hmm. and I, that's a that's a that's a, a, a that's a really great little scene because it becomes one of those things where, oh, or what, what what you know what is going on here? This this will be interesting. Maybe we're going oh he's dead.
2: Yeah, because at one point and you probably thought this too. I thought that maybe the maybe the maybe the doctor or not the doctor. I'm sorry, but maybe the patriarch, the crippled patriarch was really the bad guy who was and maybe Laurie was doing his He's physical doing killing, maybe he yeah. was playing the monster and doing his killing for him and so right. you're right that takes you out of that and now it's got and it has one of my favorite lines too by the, the uh, constable sheriff whatever where he says one thing's certain he ain't guilty <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: that's a great line <laughs> it's like you're correct sir <laughs> well wisely deciding to clear out Uh, Dick and Lynn are confronted by an irate Mrs. Judd, that's the housekeeper, Mm -hmm. who feels that they know too much and they must remain. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: Well, Margaret tussles with Judd and subdues her. Margaret is uh, Mm -hmm. the patriarch's sister, the one who called uh, the uh, psychiatrist here Mm -hmm. in the first place, trying to figure out if she's crazy or if everybody else is crazy. Well, she tussles with Judd and subdues her as Dick and Lynn flee the house. Because it's like, we got to get the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. Everybody's getting killed. The unbalanced Margaret, and it does appear that she seems to have been driven. Slightly I was going to say
2: this yeah. is the point I was going to bring that up is because it's kind of bounced back and forth. The whole film is is she insane or not, and, and we get the you know at the end we kind of find out like well she's she's not a bad person, but yeah she's she's purposely sets the house on fire. I think that qualifies as as deranged as yeah, a little little it's unbalanced. A little unbalanced. There. <laughs> well,
1: Margaret knows that Miss Judd has been a silent accomplice yeah. to the killer the whole time. Mm-hmm. And decides to burn the house to the ground, which she does. To Judd's horror, Margaret lights the fi- lights fire to the drapes, and the two women die in the conflagration. And this is
2: one point where they could have. I, I kept. I thought. Bayla's character could have run in and been trying to stop it too, or trying to do be somehow involved, and then we could at least know. Yes, he died in the fire, too. You know, Or and we could know
1: thinking. that his character was also aware of what's going on yeah. or not aware of what's going on right. one way or the other, but yeah. we don't get that. No. Yeah. Well, outside, Dick, uh, Dick and Lynn have left the grounds when the frogs become silent and the two become aware of a pursuer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Then they pull that little stunt uh, of the frogs the frogs, uh, the frogs mm-hmm. suddenly being silent two yeah. or three times in this movie, yeah. and each time it just feels like somebody lifted the needle off the <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's
0: like, oh. <laughs>
1: So they don't even trail off, huh? There's no, not like just, there's not some outlier who didn't get the message and <laughs> just got one little croak left in him. And
2: I know that just makes you picture this little frog that's like the lookout for all the little frogs. You know, He's, to he's, a, he's, got, he's, he's got, got, got a flag. flag. Yeah. he's got a flag and he's just going, "Hey, monsters coming! Night monsters coming!
1: <laughs> yeah, night, monster. night monsters coming!" <laughs> The Three Dog Night song. It was a, a B side in like '73,
2: right? Oh, one thing we should say right quick is, is just to point out that it, you know, a little bit before this has happened, um, um, Dick Baldwin has been really trying to convince the sheriff that that the uh, that. Ingstrom, um, Ingstrom, there I'm doing it too. Inkston <laughs> that Ingston is behind it all, and and is not really crippled. And then they do that scene; oh, it's yeah, pretty they, effective. Where you know they come there, pull back the blankets on his bed, and they find that he, he doesn't even have any legs at all, which really makes Baldwin look like an idiot. Yep. But that's nice because as then you because that really does make you wonder too. You're starting to think like, wow, I thought he was behind it. Now what's going on? So that was that's pretty cool.
1: Well, uh, outside, uh, Dick and Lynn have left the grounds when the frogs become silent and the two become aware of a pursuer. Crossing a rotted footbridge, Lynn's foot becomes wedged in a break. Uh, the the it kind of uh, breaks her leg gets stuck in it, and Dick is forced to engage in hand-to-hand combat with the killer, a fully ambulatory Kurt Ingston with regenerated limbs and supernatural strength. Ingston chokes. To the, let's talk about Ingston here for a minute. Yes, he's in a trench coat. Mm. He's got the Wolfman's legs.
2: Yes, the wolf, there's my other Wolfman connection. He's got the Wolfman's feet. He's definitely yeah.
1: got the Wolfman's feet. And he, and what I love is that at first when you first see him, you first see the, mm-hmm. the, the, the character walking, we get like a from the hips down shot, mm-hmm. and you can't tell because of the motion what his <laughs> legs actually look like look like, but you can tell that there's something weird about them. Yeah. And then when we finally get a look at him, it's just like, oh, holy hell! What the, <laughs> what's going on? And it's it's around that same time we get a look at his because he's missing his left arm. When we see that left arm,
2: yeah,
1: it's it's hairy and weird too. Yeah. And so it's, it's one of those things where, uh, and this is a, a thread that I really kind of wish they'd pulled, at least somebody mm. saying something in the dialogue here mm. at the end of the movie, but they're in such a rush to end the damn thing mm-hmm. that, they, that they're not going to sling any dialogue like this out there. But what I would love is for them to take note as they watch, the, you know, after all this is well and done. Remember, people? Spoilers.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: when the, those, those legs start to, dis- to d- disappear after he's killed, I kept waiting for somebody to say something along the lines of why, why do they look like that? And someone else, probably the Hindu Mm. character say something about, uh, they, they look like a beast's, uh, limbs because his thoughts were beastly or there was evil intent behind what he was doing.
2: That would have made, that would have made my, that would have lessened my irritation with, uh, the, with the design of, of, uh, Ingstons character because oh well, it didn't
1: bother me it bothered you really
2: well just a little bit I felt like something more should have been done with his face you know with his oh. head it's like uh, because and here's and here's the real main reason to why you, to change his face but the, a little bit yeah because and and uh but, but he's here's my reason why, uh, because earlier in the film, and I can't remember which character it is, but somebody who has seen it, maybe the the Dr. Uh, Harper, because I know she saw his, him. She's actually seen him at one point earlier in the film as the monster in the fog when he kills right, right, Millie. Right. Might have been her that said it, or might have been somebody just speaking about some other eyewitness, but they've described the monster as having, the, I think they say something like a, a horrible, misshapen face, or they say something like that. And then when you actually get to it, it's just the actor grimacing, you know, and that to me was kind of a letdown, especially when the rest of the body looks so well.
1: Yeah, but if cool. it, if, we, if it didn't have the character's face, then there's no re- there, there's no reveal.
2: I don't mean like it had to be like well, but, yeah. or he well, it could dissolve into. I mean, well, yeah, but have, that
1: would be after. Well, it would be yeah, after it would he was be shot. after he was shot. Sure, and and I'm not even yeah. talking.
2: I'm not even talking yeah. about like a huge. I'm just talking about something to because because you're sitting there, you know, when it's been described that way, and then you see him, and it's basically just him making an expression, and just to me that was kind of compared with what I think it could have been, that's a little bit of a letdown. It's not a huge it's not like some deal breaker with me, but it is something that bothered me about it. I think like, man, they they I think they could have done a little better in that respect. Just it wouldn't have to take in a lot, but just something to make him a little more monstrous looking than his normal face, you know. And so I that's just me. I,
1: yeah. I, I can see what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But no. <laughs> <laughs> but you're wrong. <laughs> well no, I mean the, obviously, the filmmaker's are like, no, nope, we got to see his face. And
2: the actor may have even been like, no, I don't want makeup. I mean, sometimes that but happens. Sometimes actors are just like, no, I'm not going to sit through that, and that could have been a, a possibility. That, that's a possibility. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the the stuff... He Lon was Chaney's telling me what the hell it is, and I'm not
1: going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not doing this crap. Well, Ingston chokes uh, Dick into unconsciousness and is advancing toward Lynn when a shot rings out and he topples over dead. Singh, who has fired the fatal shot, appears on the scene with... Uh, Captain Beggs and the four watch as Ingston's limbs vanish before their eyes. Singh explains that he had taught Ingston the se- the secrets of matter materialization. Materializ- I can't speak materialization, so that he could restore himself to normalcy. But the warped mind of Ingston planned only to use the mystic pros- mystical process to wreak vengeance on his doctors see that would be the moment where Mm. someone could say you know God why do they why do they look that way and this would be before they faded away
2: Uh
1: and that's when they could have inserted a line maybe even if we had the script who knows maybe there was something in there about why they looked that way because that would be great because then you're you're finding a way to justify yeah. having these monstrous <clears throat> limbs. On
2: yeah, because character. otherwise, if he was left with like, well, if he could regenerate limbs, why didn't he just regenerate human-looking limbs, you know, and right, that sort of thing? Right. So yeah. But if
1: it if it were something where you know mm-hmm. what you know whatever the the, the the reasons for doing what he was doing actually affected the physical the physical nature of them, then that would be that, that would be something that would have been really neat to have in there. Uh, Of course, in the distance, as the film ends, Inkston Towers is in flames and burning to the ground. And strangely enough, I think we've seen that footage in another
2: movie. (laughs) I suspect suspect we have, Uh, yes.
1: Yeah, the footage, uh, I think (laughs) that's uh, from a different movie. Yeah. But nevertheless, same (laughs) same idea, place burns to the ground. Uh Now, this is... One of the lesser known, lesser, less frequently talked about, and definitely underseen.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Universal. I'd never films. seen it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I had not seen it until uh, last year, mm. uh, and I just completely ignored it. Yeah, uh, I think I would seen uh, the trailer. And uh, I know that, it, to be honest, it's a fault of my own mm-hmm. uh, because it it was released on VHS sometime in the nineties, mm-hmm. uh, sometime in the mid nineties, and it's just one that I skipped over. I will I will justify it by saying that I couldn't afford everything.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, the fact that I'm seeing this movie so late in uh, my, you know, in in getting around to these different movies, uh, first of all, that that's a little ridiculous. This movie deserves a lot more respect than I have accorded mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm and uh, not just because uh, of the studio that made it but because it is a truly interesting idea mm-hmm. and a unique piece of horror cinema from the decade of the 40s this is not like everything around it it has bits and pieces of things that we've seen before you are right to point out uh, seven keys to Bald paint mm-hmm. uh old, you know the old dark house mm-hmm. uh there there's a you know there's more than a little bit of the DNA of uh, Werewolf of London. Yeah. A little bit of the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, wow, there, there, I, I could see just a smidgen of even uh, Universal's crazed-ass movie, The Raven. Yeah, yeah. So this bizarre revenge plot uh, played out as a, a as a madman Reeks wreaks vengeance on people. Mm. Also, I gotta be honest, I think this movie could be seen as, uh, <laughs> could be seen as possibly influential on uh, the Dr. Fives films.
2: Uh, yes, I have thought that too. It had kind of a Dr. Fives yeah. vibe. <laughs> yeah, going by yeah.
1: <laughs> Dr. Fives <I'm> vibe. vibe. <laughs> oh, well played, sir. I like the way you think.
2: Okay, so, um, Here's a question for you because one of the things I think is kind of neat about the film is how is that it's not easily classified in a certain particular genre because right. most said, most of the film you're thinking who done it you know murder mystery everything's yep. going to be explained in some rational you know way then you get the end and you're like well it's only partially that if at all is it more the whole when it gets down to the fact that okay yes that skeleton really did materialize this guy really did yep. materialize is is it a horror film or is it actually Almost seems to me more. of, Is it like pseudo science fiction? Is it like more like Invisible Ray kind of had a feel like that to me? Like almost that kind of science fictiony, right? You know. So the question is, like, what genre does this film really fall
1: under? And see, those are the, I love those kinds of things. I love this kind of because first of all, each genre that this kind of pulls from mm. is a genre that I enjoy. I love old dark house movies.
2: Yeah, yeah me too. Uh,
1: I love uh, whodunit murder mystery movies. Mm. Uh, I love any movie this 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 is uh this is a weird weird little thing anything where for whatever reason the story is confined to a very small space and time in other words things happen so quick you know, the the things feel sped up because suddenly corpses are dropping in everybody's laps and
2: yeah
1: yeah uh, everybody's under suspicion so nobody can go anywhere mm. It's, it's one of those uh, it, 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 the, the feel of that is something that I really mm-hmm. enjoy mm-hmm. but then I also love monster movies and this yeah. in the end does turn mm-hmm. out to be a monster movie mm-hmm. instead of what the movie is playing with making you think it's going to be in its mm-hmm. Scooby-Doo fashion which is mm-hmm. a film that rationalizes all of these possibly supernatural things by the yeah. end of it and explains them away Yeah, that's not what happens in right. this movie you get a little bit of all of these things uh, even a little bit of the, the kind of gothic feel because of the sets that yeah. we're using for the interior of this house mm-hmm. and the fog-bound sets when we get outside, uh, the, the monster lurking in the fog. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting that the the final confrontation happens on a footbridge, yeah. which is which plays like something right out mm-hmm. of a, a, an old uh, a gothic romance novel, yeah. you know. Yeah, it does it's the the, the the footbridge the, the eternal image uh, mm-hmm. of, of, uh, of a, a way to escape a, w- mm-hmm. a way to escape from uh, confinement you know uh, yeah. it's perfect in that respect in that mm-hmm. it takes a lot of these elements juggles them together and has at its core a really interesting and I would I would say fairly unique I mean you're mm-hmm. not going to see okay. this you're not going to see this in another universal mm-hmm. horror movie no. ever no. it's just not going to be there Strangely enough, this being the 1940s, let's say that something else that's a little surprising about this movie, which is the fact that we're dealing with a Hindu mystic Mm -hmm. as a main character Mm -hmm. and the main driver of the supernatural element, and... He's never disrespected.
2: No, he's not. He's never disrespected. He's never, and he's not the bad guy. He's not openly the bad guy. He's no. not in league with the he's bad the, guy. He's, he's a guy
1: who stops the yeah, monster. Yeah,
2: yeah. Very, very unusual. And the the um, the the female psychiatrist, you know, is is I like the fact yep. that she's, she's. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, that a, too. she's yeah. a
2: well-written, smart character. They do things to
1: put her in danger.
2: You put her in danger, feminize her to to as well. You know, I mean, in other words, yep. what I like is they never go to that point. That always makes you cringe, where they go to the point of like, you know, oh, you sacrificed being a woman for your career, kind of thing. You know, there's nice yeah, flirting between her and Dick Baldwin, but that, that they keep it on a level that she still is allowed to be smart and right. and come up with conclusions on her own, and I appreciated that. And but.
1: she's and her the clues conclusions she's willing to uh, come out and say turn out to be accurate. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is not a character that is being played uh, as uh, not as being is not being played by the script as if. She's there to essentially just get information across. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she's certainly not being played that way by the actress. No. This is a character who's competent, who's there, who's trying to do Mm -hmm. everything she can to help the person who's asked for her help. Mm -hmm. And once she's caught up in this murder mystery, she's a full participant in attempting to dope it all out.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, It's it's interesting. And this film from... (laughs) Not too high as uh, you don't have to get you don't have to get to the five thousand foot level looking down at the script to to come to this conclusion. It's right there, kind of in your face, with just a little bit of thought. This is a fairly modern approach to these characters.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For, it it, is.
1: It, in some ways it's more subtle than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. When you when it's the only thing that really underlines like my favorite humorous thing in the movie is just Lionel Atwill's excellent performance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because. It's clearly in the script that this one doctor thinks the other doctor's bullshit about yeah. glands yeah. is a crock. And right, he just right. needs to hang it up. <laughs> but, he's, and it's all, but it's all played mm-hmm. from the point of view of, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut yeah. and sneer at this dumbass. Yeah. Stuff like that, that feels like a much more modern take on that element of the story. Mm-hmm. As does having a main character who is a psychiatrist... As a woman, yeah. a fully functioning character mm-hmm. who is a woman who's never put in the position of 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 uh, being uh, a rom- a romantic object mm-hmm. or of being uh, scared just to drive right. the plot. Right. Uh, she's put under threat, but she's put but under so is threat. Everybody else. Yeah. She, yeah, she's put under threat almost simultaneously with another character yes. at the same time. Yeah. So it's never just let's make the woman scared so we get that kind of thing going. Right. That's done with Millie, who's our second victim in the film. Mm-hmm. And then the movie doesn't pull that stunt again.
4: Yeah.
1: It's odd. I don't know if it's uh, I don't know if this is something that the scriptwriter may have set out to do mm-hmm. or if certain of these things were kind of pushed in certain directions because of the requirements of the times. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a bizarrely modern version of this kind of story. Mm-hmm. And not just in that it jumbles together so many different you know, things from different genres, which is also you know something to admire.
2: Yeah,
1: But it feels a little more
2: adult yeah no I agree with that it's it's I, I think so too I mean I think it, it does come um, I think it, it does have that kind of feel to it like a more modern I like what you said you know yeah. just feel like more modern ideas to it yeah
1: just some uh some interesting things about about the film that I would like to bring up first mm-hmm. of all there's all kinds of neat little things in the dialogue mm-hmm. that also makes me kind of admire it first of yeah all, I like
2: the dialogue in this film a lot yeah
1: First of all, yeah, the dialogue is a cut above the average uh-huh. for these for these uh-huh. movies. I have to admit that's another uh-huh. plus. But there's a, a little aside: uh, the the Judd character or mm. yeah, the the Jed character, the guy who uh, picks up Millie, yeah, uh, when she's talking, when she's trying to convince him of all this stuff that's going on at the house, mm. he refers to it as Granny talk,
0: yeah, <laughs>
1: which is just this great. Different way of saying Old Wives Tale, <laughs> which I think is just <laughs> great. Yeah. I don't listen to that granny talk. But that to me just strikes me as one of those like possibly regional yeah, version, pretty good. versions yeah, of Old Wives Tale, yeah, I, I like just, that. I just think that's great. I think it's really impressive that this movie was shot... Uh, in July of '42, and then released in October '42. It just it, it does something to me to remember just how quick how quick oh the God, turnaround yeah. on these things were. Yeah. You yeah. know, you're finished shooting this thing in late late July, and mm-hmm. three months later, this sucker is in theaters. Yep. I wonder how successful this movie may or may not have been because the idea of using kind of uh, as a plot point, as something to kind of drive a, a, a supernatural or even a fake supernatural storyline forward, being kind of you know mysterious knowledge from the East mm. seems to me kind of a natural. I mean, you, you had stuff like, you know, uh, Sean do the magician and yeah. and stuff like that where it turns up, but it's not often used in horror movies, but it seems like it would be a natural. It does. Yeah. It really does seem like there's just so much uh, that, that it, it's, it's a field that would grow a lot of really interesting mm-hmm. fruit and very mm-hmm. few trees get planted there. And it yeah. seems a little, a little unfortunate. Did you notice something that really only stood out to me as I watched this movie a second and third time, which is that there is absolutely no direct reference to World War II.
2: It did not actually at all, but it should have because and and you're absolutely right uh, that that is a surprise for anything we watched during this time is that there was no no reference to uh, the outside world basically. As
1: far the as only the, the only possible reference that could be there is the fact that the psychiatrist character is a
2: woman.
1: Yeah. Simply because of the, the time period where essentially so many more women were being called upon to yeah. leave the house and go out into industry and do things, to go out and do things that were generally the purview of men mm-hmm. because so many men were being enlisted and sent overseas.
2: Yeah.
1: But there is absolutely no reference to World War II. This movie could take place anytime whatsoever, yes, and it, it just doesn't seem to be happening during wartime at all. Yeah which is a good point very 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 odd i think that's that that's an intriguing mm-hmm. bit of reference kind of mm-hmm. as a to use as a frame as you're watching this movie which is it it feels like they were trying desperately to not peg it to a particular time so it could kind of be fluid in where it was necessarily set and i think they do a little bit of that not just by having on screen both motor cars and a horse and carriage.
2: Yeah. Well, it's universal land, again. Yeah. Well, it's it's the both, you know, it's, yeah. Where, where, where,
1: where, yeah, where we're you situating were this in a, in a kind know. of time, a time where both of those on the same road would yeah. not have been seen as ridiculous right. or odd. Right. You know, you, you wouldn't see the horse and carriage and think, oh, the Amish must be nearby. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is just the way it was. That yeah. That period of the, you know, the first, let's call it 40 to 50 years of the, of, mm-hmm. uh, the 20th century, essentially.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't go so far to like we don't see Bavarian peasants or whatever <laughs> like next to motor cars as we do in some well, of no, the films.
1: This is definitely a film that feels to me like it's taking place somewhere in the Northeast. It does, yeah. But yeah. They, without, you know, they never get very specific. About yeah.
2: It, but. Do you want to talk
1: ratings? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This uh, this to me, uh, my first viewing, I felt, I felt that it was... A six stretching to a seven on my second viewing and, and taking notes and really thinking about it, I felt it was a strong seven. Wow, you said exactly what I was gonna say. Oh, God, first really? viewing was a six and second viewing was a seven. So oh, yeah. God. Okay.
2: <laughs> it's exactly what I've said. It's a
1: movie it's a movie that I think is more impressive the more times you watch it because I agree. The uh, you're you're less disappointed with what it's not giving you, yeah. and more impressed with what it's giving.
2: You. That's yeah, exactly the way I felt. You know, the things that bug me about it either stop bugging me or bug me less. You know, yeah. on the second viewing, and I begin to be impressed more by what it is doing, what it's trying to do. So, um, of course, I'm mostly concerned with what Bosley Crowther had to say about it. Well, I, we don't no have no Bosley, Bosley oh, Crowther. Man.
1: Well, I want to say this. This is this is something I'm going to read straight out of the Universal Horrors book.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, quote. For many fans, Night Monster has become a sitting target, as they bemoan the fact that Lugosi and Atwill play such minor roles. But for the more open-minded, there's plenty of compensation. Ford Beebe's direction catches just the right feel of mystery and suspense, and while the plot can perhaps be charitably described as improbable, the, un- the unusual aspects of the story place the picture a rung above many of the completely standardized and formularized b universal chillers. There's genuine atmosphere in the scenes on the marsh, and in general, a creepy aura surrounds the whole production that too many other Universal films completely miss. Mm-hmm. Despite the modest budget, the usual short schedule, and a confined setting, Night Monster conveys a feeling of dread far more effectively than many of its better-known contemporaries. quote. Cool. I, I, I completely agree with that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I think that the performances are strong. Mm-hmm, I think that too. the the way the plot lays itself out is very interesting. Mm-hmm. It has enough red herrings in it that I'm not quite so disappointed that the obvious red herring of Bella Lugosi <laughs> yeah. playing your butler yeah. isn't stronger. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it really feels like it feels like there's some pieces missing there, yeah. Yeah. especially in the last last third. Mm-hmm. It feels like there's probably some stuff that either got shot or Pulled out of the script at the last minute. There's some stuff there. Now, one of the things that they go, I want to see how you how you feel about this because Mm -hmm. one of the things the writers of the Universal Monsters book kind of take the film to task for is that they feel that the movie kind of falls down in the whodunit aspect. They say uh, the script goes to a great deal of trouble to divert the finger of suspicion from Kurt Ingston, but with no success. Although the character's paraplegic condition would instantly remove him from consideration in any conventional movie. Audiences know that in a horror film, anything goes, and that some explanation for Inkston's nocturnal preambulations will eventually be forthcoming. And there, I think, is the problem. Yeah. I don't agree yeah. that this movie is telling you up front that it's a horror movie.
2: No, the God, first I got agree. Half exactly. of this, yeah. The
1: first half of this movie, it is telling you that it is a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. So, trying to say that from Jump Street, the movie is pointing its finger at the paraplegic is to ignore the fact that you now know it's a horror movie, but... Anybody coming to this movie cold is thinking, oh, okay, so this is a murder mystery, an old Dark House thing. That's, this yeah. is, Yeah, that's all. Like I, I said.
2: said, I fully expected the whole time that the monster would be unmasked by the meddling kids or something, you know, yeah. at some point, that it yeah. would be that kind of scooby Like you said, the Scooby-Doo scenario is what I was expecting. And I think that the audience, yeah, I think the audience might be very, I think that Inkston would be at the top of their list of suspects, but I think that once it reveals that he has no legs, then I think you're, you're, you're again... Still not thinking horror movie or supernatural. I think you're still thinking, okay, somebody's doing his dirty work for him, or we're right. going to get some other kind of explanation, you know, that's going to be rational.
1: They say in the book, they say, uh, despite the fact that as a paraplegic, Inkston couldn't have done it, almost everyone in the film has an inkling that he's the killer, and probably everybody in the audience, too, after Angar Singh's speech about the man's latent ability to grow new tissues new tissues at will. No, by that time I'm yeah. thinking that this is another fricking yeah. red herring.
2: Yeah, you're thinking that Singh is full of it. You know, you're thinking yeah. that he's a hoax. That he's a, a, a hoaxer. You know, so yeah.
1: Now they point out that this movie owes a little bit of debt to Doctor X from 1932,
4: mm. mm-hmm.
1: because uh, Doctor X is a murder story. By the way, stars Lionel Atwill. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, set in a state filled with strange doctors. And sinister servants, where a one-armed doctor, above suspicion because of his handicap, turns out to be the monstrous killer, uh, regenerating a grotesque new limb via the secret electrical equipment and living manufactured flesh. So <laughs> there is uh-huh. some DNA stretching yeah. back to that movie in this story, yeah. uh, and that may be kind of you know one of the things that they were playing with when they came up with this storyline and mm. wrote the script. Mm. But I guess that means that I've spoiled Doctor X for you, now.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We spoiled two films for the price of one there.
1: I should have said something about. But that.
2: But once again, if something is called, you know, um, you know, it's like a, you know, Doctor X or whatever, I mean you're already thinking science fiction, or with a mad doctor kind of yeah. scenario, you're already starting to think you're not thinking Who Done It, or you're thinking there's going to be uh, some exaggerated, you know, uh, bits of science that's, you know, it's going to make kind of the impossible happen or something like yep. that. Again, not the way you're expect going into this film. It's more what you're expecting from this film.
1: Oh, I don't want to get away. I don't want to get away. I don't want to go too far away before I. I, I completely forgot to mention that uh, the actor who plays Doctor Timmons, mm-hmm. Frank Riker, mm-hmm. uh, he was the uh, the boat captain in King Kong and Son of Kong.
2: Oh wow! Cool. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Good, I didn't realize that. Nice. It's one
1: of those things where it's like, oh, yeah. that's where <laughs> I know that guy's face cool. from. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. Uh, it's, a, it's another one of those things where you start when you start poking around in, first of all there's a really good cast yeah. but it's also when you start poking around in these little movies that uh, that are, you know hmm. considered B programmers or whatever they've got to have a lot of actors in them it's like you start poking around in their, in their, in their resumes and you're like oh my lord I've seen uh-huh. this person in what he was in King Kong holy crap you <laughs> know one sad statement to make is that this is uh, this is only the second universal horror film that uh, Bella Lugosi ever toplined the other was Dracula.
2: Wow, that is sad, yeah.
1: Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Uh, considering that, in my opinion, his name should have top-lined several movies. Yeah. And uh, you think about that and you're like, oh my lord, he didn't, his name wasn't above the title on, you know, like The Black Cat or The yeah. Raven or... Jeez, this is... But it's true.
2: Yeah, it is. That's it. Is. I did not realize that, but it makes sense, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's... Uh, Let's take a look at Critics' Corner. We do love uh, peer, peering at the critical mm-hmm. assessment of this film when it came out in 1942. Uh, I've already warned you there's no Bosley no Crowther. No. I haven't looked ahead to see if we don't if we get any more Mr. Crowther ever. Yeah. But uh, we do get some goodies here. Um, from the New York Daily News, November 29th, 1942, Kate Cameron, two and a half stars. The explanation for the multiple murders comes at the end of the picture, but not as too great a surprise to the audience as the author has seen fit to drop a number of obvious hints. Mm, maybe, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, New York Herald Tribune, Tribune 1942. Uh, old hands at the game like Bella Lugosi and Lyle Atwell are simply present for a- atmospheric purposes. Hmm. Huh. I agree. Yeah,
2: yeah, uh, yeah, I can't argue that.
1: The New York Sun, November 30th, 1942. Eileen Creelman. Night Monster is a horror film as lurid as any any that home of thrillers that be the New York Rialto mm. Theater has mm. ever shown. It's not good, but it is crowded with killings. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I love that you used the word lurid, you know. Lurid. Really
1: the New York Post, November 30th, 1942, Archer Weinstein. You would think that such a picture brimming with gore could be seen only by the most stout of heart. But that is not true in this case. Despite the presence of Bella Lugosi and Lionel Atwill, veteran horror men, the effect is not too much to be borne. Perhaps the reason for one's persistent calm can be found in the remark of one of the characters who said plaintively, It still doesn't add up. <laughs>
2: I love how you know the occasional spots of blood on the carpet you know constitutes brimming with gore or whatever I know, it is. there. I
1: know. It's like it's in nineteen forty two it's like, oh they mentioned blood.
0: Yeah. It's like really <laughs> they,
1: they 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 talk about strangling and suddenly you know you're all your your testicles in a twist. The, <laughs> the New York Times, November thirtieth, nineteen forty two, Thomas M. Pryor. Before this potpourri of occult mumbo-jumbo runs its tedious and fantastic course, no less than eight actors wind up as corpses. <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> a potpourri is the one word I agree with. It is a potpourri for sure, but...
1: I don't know, occult mumbo-jumbo. A more Jumbo.
2: Well, yeah, I guess it is a cult mumbo-jumbo, but enjoyable.
1: And the film Daily, October 20th, 1942. One of the most fantastic melodramas that defy all fact and reason and only serve to more people whose taste in melodramatic entertainment are closer to reality. Devotees of Spine Chillers will find the action in this film suspenseful and exciting. The way people are bumped off should be a real treat for them. Charles Van Eager's camera work helps to build up the melodramatic tone of the film.
2: All right, well, hey, at least credit review. to cinematography, yes, that is. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> well. And you and I... Both were we both like it. We do. I'm a little sad that I did that I didn't catch up with it until the freaking 21st century, yeah, which man. says pretty bad things mm-hmm. about me as a fan of these mm-hmm. movies in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I'm just glad that uh, I'm glad it's so easily available now. It's yes. it's part of one of the Universal uh, horrors uh, four movie sets put mm-hmm. out by Scream Factory recently, so it's on Blu-ray. It has a uh, it even has a commentary track.
2: Yeah, see, I I didn't get the Blu-ray, or I would have. I've got it on the, the earlier uh, four movie oh, okay. uh, DVD that doesn't have the commentary track. I would have liked to to listen to that. But it's
1: worth it. It's by it's by Gary Rhodes. Okay, cool. So yeah, it's it, it's worth it. He uh, he takes you it takes you through a pretty informed trip yeah. through the film, and uh, plus it just looks fantastic on the Blu-ray. let's, oh, yeah, let's be I'm honest. Sure. I'm sure. These '40s movies. By being a bit younger, yeah, certainly oh look a, certainly look fantastic. How oh, these do. restorations on Blu-ray, they look really good. Oh
4: yeah.
2: Well, we may not have the words of Bosley Crowther, but we have the next best thing: our pretentious <laughs> and pompous friends out there on Facebook land, <laughs> 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 who look down their noses at us daily.
1: Yes, a couple of days ago, I posted a uh, uh, I posted this film up on Facebook just to get other people's reactions to it, and uh, it's pretty it's pretty cool. Uh, let's see, uh, Jeff Clark. Chimed in with, uh, it took me a while to remember it. Uh, it says, uh, it, I'm sorry. It took me a while to remember if I saw it. That's not a good sign. As much as I love the Universal Classics, there are a couple that seem similar enough in plot and casting that I sometimes confuse one for the other. I think I may have mistook Black Cat, the uh, the 1941 one, the one with Roger Crawford, mm-hmm. for Night Monster a couple of times. And I had to admit... I can understand I can that see because that. it can. has Bella Lugosi in an extremely yep. similar position uh, in the cast. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Bruce Hallenbeck said uh, that this one stands out, Night Monster stands out because it has wonderful atmosphere and good performances plus a unique kind of quote-unquote monster. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Troy Howarth said it's very good, creepy, atmospheric, and much more original than most of the 40s films. Uh, Shane Dahlman pointed out that uh, he likes it quite a lot and that it is one of the most original of that cycle. Uh, Charlie Bonomo says, uh, one of my favorites of Universal's 40s lineup, an underappreciated old dark picture, uh, old dark house picture, creepy with a winner of a conclusion. I agree. Uh, Michael Klein, good enough, atmospheric pic- picture with something different and unexpected to offer. Atwell and Lugosi are completely wasted. <laughs> and I can definitely agree <laughs> I can see with that. I'd say why him. I'd say that. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mark Clark says, good little movie and underrated. James Lechner says uh, it definitely held my interest when I watched it as a kid.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow. That's okay. See, I yeah. don't. I don't know that it would have mine. Although I was pretty. I was. I would. I would. You know. I. wasn't like just a total fidgeter or get bored with. You know. I would stick with these films. But it's hard to say how it would have hit me as a kid. I would like the skeleton.
1: <laughs> yeah, the skeleton. Uh, Scott Pliskin says I liked it. First saw it off a of VHS rental. Interesting twist. Good mystery. Good mystery in a mansion movie. I like his alliteration. Me too. Uh, Ryan Matthew Ziegler I'm a big fan I like how it takes its time setting up the story and how the large cast is casually introduced it isn't as predictable as some of the films of the time especially when it comes to the fates of a number of the characters the first time I watched it I thought Millie was going to be a lead character
2: I tell you same here
1: good point David Anandale I really like it great atmosphere in the fog scenes and I like that the resolution is something actually monstrous and not explained away yeah uh uh, Ismael Fernandez says, I prefer it to Dr. X. Wow. And, and I got to wow. say, I disagree with him there, but that's yeah. a bold statement. And Maybe. I can kind of say, hey, I like this movie, too, but I like Dr. X more. Yeah. Mark Ashworth says, I love it. It's eerily atmospheric and also rather nasty, so what's not the like? Adrian Smith, my uh, co-host on, on many occasions, says, yes, this is a fun one. Poor Bella, though. He should have been the star. <laughs> Uh, Kevin Shinnick it's a superior smaller film with a lot of mood often missing from the monster rallies of the 40s that Universal put out which I still enjoy mind you (laughs) (laughs) now Harry Long chimes in and points out that he thinks it's one of Universal's best of the 40s and they wrote the essay on it in the book Universal 40s Monsters, which is a book I did not even know existed oh, until wow. he posted it. No, I, hunt- no,
2: I may mean, either. I need to hunt this down. I'm
1: Universal's to... 40s Monsters, a critical commentary. Yes, I immediately threw it into the uh <laughs> Yeah, the, it's available Amazon on Amazon. Wish list. Yeah, yes, definitely exactly. Exists. Cool. Uh, buddy Barnett. Uh, by the way, no... I
2: was going to uh, say, uh, no, lost, long lost relation. No relation.
1: There. No relation. Like he says, I love this movie. I also love that Lugosi is doing a takeoff on Arthur, Arthur treat, uh, Treacher... In Night Monster, Bella had already done a similar part to Niles Ather uh, back in '33 with Night of Terror. That would be the uh, mm. the uh, Hindu mystic. Yeah. Uh, great ensemble cast. Cool. And then uh, Harry Long pointed out to a Buddy that Bella also does the Arthur Treacher thing, the kind of you know uh, Jeeves character, the kind yes. of Jeeves mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. He'd already done that in the uh, in an earlier film, uh, two earlier films, The Gorilla and woodbody Body Too Many. Actually. Mm. Cool. And as Steve Sullivan said, uh, I really like it, and it creeped me out as a kid. But I wish that Lugosi had a bigger and more important part to play. But then I could say that about a lot of of Lugosi's films, sadly. Yes, indeed. Man,
2: awesome feedback, guys. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Thank you very much. Well, folks, I tell you what, we've got a a little email to get to before we get out of here, and we're going to have to have a special guest for that. So uh, hang on one minute. We'll come back, and we'll dive into uh, the email bag.
4: Why, howdy, partner. How can I help you today? I'm looking for a movie to watch, but i What in tarnation was that? Never you mind, son. Now let's focus on your needs here. I'm looking for something to watch, but I want something I ain't seen yet. Ooh, watch yourself there, partner. Why, I reckon you've come to the right place. You've come to the place where the The East east meets the the west. West. The East meets the West. Where is that and how's that going to help me? Ooh, that was close. You better duck. I don't understand what's going on here. It's like I'm in a place where Kung Fu and Cowboys have combined somehow. Well, that's right, partner. you will going to find some offbeat films here, no doubt about that. Host Rigor is going to take you on a journey to discover not only the hundreds of amazing martial arts films of Hong Kong's Shaw Brothers, but also Italy's Spaghetti Westerns. Spaghetti Westerns? Is that some kind of joke? No sir. Western movies made in Italy from the 60s to the 80s are called Spaghetti Westerns and that's a fact. You can find The East Meets the West on all the major podcasting apps as well as HavenPodcast.com. Well, thank you kindly, sir. You done settled my entertainment needs, even though it was a tad dangerous in your store. <laughs> like I said, go to your podcasting apps or go to HavenPodcast.com. The, the East Meets the, east meets the west. west, your new favorite ranch to hang out at. Hot! Hot! No!
3: three animated TV series, three animated feature films, over 50 years of stories, over 150 characters, 10 core comic book titles, 27 spin-off comic book titles, nearly 30 limited series spin-offs, and of course, four feature films. Well, okay, five if you count Captain America: Civil War or maybe it's like four and a half. The Avengers are a Marvel Comics mainstay, and no matter how many films crush it at the box office or how many more Avenger spin-off titles come out, it all comes back to that original comic series that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby thrust upon the world in 1963. And I'm going to read the entire run. My name is Derek M. Cook, and I'm a recovering comic book fan. Over on my YouTube channel, Comic Comicstalgia, you can join me as I make my way through the comic with my Reading the Avengers YouTube series every episode i'll take a look at an issue of the comic share my thoughts about the story its artwork and characters and reflect on how the issue may have impacted or inspired other facets and corners of all things marvel i'd like to invite you to join me as i make my way through every single issue of this iconic comic book assemble with me at tinyurl.com readingtheavengers reading the avengers or look up comic Stalgia on YouTube where you can find all the previous episodes and even subscribe to make sure you don't miss anything while we're reading The Avengers. That's tinyurl.com slash readingtheavengers. Nuff said.
1: Okay, time to get into the mailbag. First up, uh, one that I should have read out a long time ago as it came to us back in February, and I keep forgetting. This is from Chris Herzog. He says, Hi, Rod. If you have time for a little more on Invisible Agent, speaking of 1940s Universal Films, uh, I have a fun story. First of all, thanks to you and Troy for inspiring me to go back and have another look at this one. It was much better than I remembered. It was also gl- I was also glad that you spent some time discussing the director, since it reminded me of the following anecdote. Years ago, not long after Lisa and I had begun seeing each other, she started a new job, and as you do, was having a get-to-know-you chat with one of her new co-workers. When Lisa mentioned that one of our favorite pastimes was watching old horror movies and such, the co-worker replied, Oh, that's neat. You know, my dad was a movie director in Hollywood. Long story short, this lady, named Randy, was the daughter of Edwin L. Marin. Now, if we lived in California, this wouldn't be such an unusual story. But as you know, we live in Indiana, so it was pretty exciting. Her mother was an actress named Anne Morris, who had a pretty respectable IMDB resume herself. Randy actually had a had very few, if any, memories of her father. She had been born late in his life, and he passed away when she was very young. She also didn't know a lot about his filmography. She was mainly familiar with a Christmas carol, and that's about it. Back in the early 2000s, there was still plenty of there were still plenty of people who weren't on the internet, and she was one of them. I recall that I printed up. Uh, I printed her up an IMDb filmography and some other info, and after I talked about the situation on the Classic Horror Film Board, a couple of people, including Tom Weaver, sent me some VHS copies of a few of Marin's films to give to her. One of them was Invisible Agent. Anyway, thanks for reminding me of this fun memory, and keep up the good work, Chris Herzog. That's pretty cool, and he's right. I mean, you would expect, if you were in California, to run across the children of...
4: Yeah. You know, yeah,
1: old, sure. old Hollywood royalty to a degree, yeah. but mm-hmm. intriguing to say the least.
2: Yeah. Well Invisible Agent was one of our better finds, one of the, yeah. the true gems that we've, you know, we've uncovered in doing this this uh series here.
1: And a little more gruesome than this movie, if you want to be Yeah if you wanna yeah, be blunt. Really, I mean, it's probably
2: yeah, one of the more kind of darker films that we've we've covered in the forties.
1: And one of the rare ones that goes out of i mean it's it's heavily world war ii influence this mm-hmm. is taking yeah. place during world war world war ii mm-hmm. full sob. such a weird thing we have one more email this is from matthew kowalski comrades hope we are all well well i can't i can't speak for him
0: mm-hmm.
1: but i guess we're we're, mm-hmm. we're okay just wanted to say that i have thoroughly enjoyed the last few podcasts especially the sherlock holmes episodes Really glad you guys decided to include, include those in the ongoing 1940s Universal series. Beth is a very welcome addition to the proceedings. Her knowledge and genuine enthusiasm for the subject matter is there for all to see. Big ups, Beth. So I thought you'd want Aww, to be here for that. Thank
0: you so yes. much, Matthew. That was very sweet.
1: Beth has crept into the room and is here lurking. Yes. Yes. Actually, I, I ran downstairs and yanked her out of bed. She has, <laughs> I, I told her she had to come podcast. <laughs> Hairpin curlers. Get up here. Go to the attic right now.
0: <laughs> Let's
1: see. Uh, Ma- Matthew can sit, can continues. Uh, now, I have some intelligence on the elusive, almost semi-mythical Petri wine. Oh. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, uh, Beth and I put together a, a podcast, a short podcast, of a couple of uh, Sherlock Holmes radio stories. Uh, radio plays from the olden days. And, of course, one of them was one of the classic ones with Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. And for years and years, Petri Wine was the sponsor of said program.
0: Petri Wine,
1: <laughs> the people who took time to bring you good wine. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> well, he says, I was, post- I was talking with my pops about the podcast at the old Holmes Watson radio program. Apparently, he does, in fact, recall the Petri. Despite its slick advertising and its association with, with Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, it would appear that the Petri was kind of bottom-shelf stuff. <laughs> Not straight hobo wine like Boone's Farm or Night Train. <laughs> Drink Night Train, go to a basketball game. But more like old-ass working-class Italian dude on a budget wine. You know, jug stuff. Think Carlo Rossi. Apparently, it was a fixture in Italian American households in, in, in New York City slash North New Jersey up until the late 1960s and 70s when a lot of cheaper Italian imports hit the market. Anyway, hope all is good. Das Vidagna, Matthew. <laughs> also, there. Just thought you'd want to know that uh, any, any illusions that we might have about uh, the quality. I
2: was about to say Petri wine <laughs> is apparently not highfalutin.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> I'm with, with like the, Petri, i got to admit, I, my first thought was a dish of like, you know, <laughs> bold bacteria, you know, or something a bowl like that. You bold know, like, bacteria. <laughs> That's
1: a fair point. I really yeah. thought really know. You a, didn't a think di- that? That pe- didn't occur to well, you, petri? A Petri dish? No, it didn't occur to me. I don't know why. It should have. Yeah, a Petri dish. Why not? Yeah.
0: I was, if he had said Hey, I still have a bottle of that. Um, I was going to be like to so, so <laughs> impressed. You were
1: going to start planning a trip to <laughs>
4: Pennsylvania. You got a bottle of that. <laughs>
0: because I've researched it and it looks like, you know, they stopped actually being a going concern <laughs> quite some time ago. But just, just I. I like wine, and I know a little bit about wine. Not as much as I know about beer, but the names of the wines that they produced the Sauterne. It wasn't, it wasn't Cabernet and Sauvignon. It was, it was a uh, Sauterne, and they, uh, of course, they had uh, Sherry. They did several no, no, different. Nothing that,
1: nothing that seemed like you know, gutter ball or
0: yeah, but I mean, slush. Uh, of course, I've never. Heard heard of a so turn, I'm sure somebody I, out I, there knows exactly what that is
1: I don't know I don't know squat about wine I know that it's a liquid <laughs> and apparently it involves alcohol
0: that's, that's what I, it
1: comes in bottles right am I wrong is that right <laughs> yes it
2: just pours from a spring you go to it and get cup, right, cup you just your cup up hand. your hands <laughs> Yes. just like the
1: yes. leprechaun you hit him
0: on the head <laughs> yeah. and you <it's>
1: cool like, <laughs> Some dark fluid.
0: I wonder if
4: oh, it appears
1: to be alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> well, nevertheless, thank you, Matthew. Yes,
2: Ma- thank you, Matthew. Ma- Matthew drinks, by the way, a lot. Uh, if you n- had, no. you know, so I think every week Rod and I get a uh, <laughs> a gets- post from Matthew from some new esoteric beer he's tried. So. Uh, but in his defense, he's a Miami Dolphins fan, which is why he drinks a lot. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
0: oh. He's our beer buddy. He is. We, oh. we try to uh, <clears throat> one-up each other. on a, He always wins because <laughs> he can find the most yeah. unique beer. Mm-hmm. He does. He does. Well,
1: I mean, we can find some interesting things occasionally, but I, my, my days of really going hardcore into the beer hunt – that's about a decade to two decades in my past. So when
2: we would drive to another state, yeah, to see if we found yeah. out it had a good beer selection. Yeah,
1: yeah. Now Tennessee actually has a pretty decent beer selection. Yeah. You, can, you can go to places locally and yeah. get some
2: decent stuff. Well, we remember the days when that was not the no, case. That was not the
1: case for a very long time. <laughs> Your, your beer choices were Bud or
0: Miller yeah. hey yep. we found one that was really unique this last Christmas the uh you'll shoot your eye out with the <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: what was what was that from let me think I can't well no we find some interesting beers from time to time all over the place but it's just uh, I don't uh I don't factor it into my week let's put it yeah. down way. it's more of a monthly <laughs> kind of thing whereas you went hunting it was like oh, killing yeah. animals when you were at, at, oh yeah you had to gather them bring them home <laughs> Display them to your friends. You know, it was like it was like showing the pelt. You know, like, see, look at the label. See the label? the label was the pelt. I can't throw this can away. It had beer in it. <laughs> Plus the picture, it's purdy. and I can almost remember how drunk I got nevertheless thank you Beth for coming up here Sorry. <laughs> and indulging us in this indulging uh, us in this uh, I knew you'd want to hear this so. and
2: she's going to be indulging the entire next full episode right I think we were right that is, is correct yeah, yeah.
1: that's where we want to lead with this because we leave the year of 1942 and enter 1943 and our next film is a Sherlock Holmes film and I will have to admit Yay! that it is uh, is not a horror movie folks it's not even got really much in the way of a horror movie element But uh, if you like World War II stories, it's going to key in pretty hard. It's Sherlock Holmes and the Secret Weapon. Came out in February of 1943, and that will be the film that we cover next. Uh, It is based on The Adventure of the Dancing Men, which is a pretty darn good original Conan Doyle Holmes story. Uh, and uh, we will cover that in uh, the next episode that Troy and I do of this run through of mm. the Universal Horror Films of the 1940s. And then Beth and I should also, right after that, put together another short uh, Sherlock Holmes radio show program with a couple of, oh. uh, of uh, classic episodes of that for you to, like, can't uh, promise any Petri wine advertisements mm-hmm. within it. <laughs> but that is what we'll do. So uh, next time. Here on The Bloody Pit, Sherlock Holmes and The Secret Weapon. Uh, of course, I've got another couple of episodes that I'll be sticking in between. Be- yeah. Before we get to that, I've got some stuff that
2: yeah, I got do. You and I may do another Beyond Nashy between, that, uh, between now and then.
1: Yeah, we do, we do have another Beyond Nashy that we're going to be doing. By the way, nailing down a title for that movie?
2: Oh, Holy yes. crap. Yeah. I'm just glad you were able to find it, but yes, oh, it I goes found by it. many different titles. Not,
1: not, not under the title that we originally thought we were going to find it. Under. <laughs> but nevertheless, so... Pay attention to the Nashy cast over there as we'll be doing some more uh, Beyond Nashy episodes next time here with Troy and I and Beth. Sherlock Holmes and the Secret Weapon. Join us for that. Uh, thank you very much for being here. Beth, once again, thank you for joining us yep. for the uh, for the mailbag here. So welcome. I am Rod Barnett.
2: And I'm Troy Gwynn.
1: And we will talk to you next time. Got to put that in. <laughs> That's
2: right.
1: <yeah. laughs> that I edit out and I put at the very end after whatever song I put at the end of this episode. <laughs>